Holman, have I already hung out with Brad Lovell, or is that coming up? I don't know when this episode is airing. Yes, you've already hung out with him, and it is in the past. Even awesome. Though, oh, Brad as and we record, I, oh, it's in the future. We were having so much fun at the Amsoil 50th anniversary. We were drinking beers, doing shots. It was it was great. I think we were doing that, right? What are we? What? I wasn't there. Oh. I wasn't invited to well, Amsoil's I, I, uh, big uh, shindig. I think, uh, yeah. Is this where I enter the chat and go, hey, Lightning, why don't you bring me to everything that you do? Is that where that goes is that this part of the show i mean you could say that but uh-huh. uh yeah no i'm sorry it's uh for uh industry only right because i'm definitely not industry right. i don't represent I'm sorry. It's anybody for amsoil affiliates and influencers uh-huh. yeah, i can't call up amsoil and get some oil that's true no and, and funny that uh, i'm actually i'm not either of those no people. i'm going no. with gail banks who is As one is of their influencers one. yeah <laughs> i'm a plus one <laughs> weak sauce huh? oh well I, I think this is gonna be a great show we've got uh, our friend uh brad level coming on to uh to talk all sorts of uh racing and uh, raptors and mm-hmm. all sorts of cool stuff like that and uh we'll get to your voicemails guess what a lot more truck news lots of truck news oh wait hey can i borrow your benchmate for a second uh sure this uh box i know that's becoming a thing where we uh start every show where i open some box of stuff and this one is from oh by the way while you're opening that box i should mention do you uh, remember mother steve brown alpine car audio steve brown yes yeah, so uh, i had sent him a a, a query I'm the Steve Brown contact. You went around me? Six years ago you were. Oh, yeah. I did text you to ask if you still work there, though. He's still there. And so I, I sent him a note. And I said, hey, uh, this is what I'm looking to do. I want to do this, this, and that. Is this the right recommendation? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, that'll work. Well, where do you want me to send the parts? And you're like, parts? <laughs> and I was like, so what is he sending I don't you? know. So we'll open the box when this it is comes. for the 392, it's I for assume. the 392. You already had upgraded speakers in there. What so I have, I have the upgraded speakers at the top of the dash yeah. with the Terra Acoustics, which are great. But the speakers in the sound bar uh, are are little tiny guys, like three and a half or something like that. Yeah. So there's a, a company that makes a pod that drops the speaker down uh, about an inch. And it allows you to put a uh, 6.5 round speaker in there and then has room for uh, external tweeter, not a coaxial style, right? You're going from a single three and a half to separate. So it's two. Yeah. One handles highs and one handles mids. No, I know that's what's called right. separates. Right. That's when you have a six right. and a half and a tweeter. Right. So, so I've got those two, but I'm going to one six point five yeah. with a separate tweeter next that's to it. That's what's a separate uh, system. Right. That's what I'm In doing. In the car audio industry, those are called separates. Okay. So what I'm going <laughs> to do is I'm going to uh, upgrade my sound, but I don't want to rip out my stereo. I don't want to mess with the Alpine Magic. I just want speakers that have a little bit more fullness. And a, and a little bit more... Mid-bass. You're looking yeah, for mid-bass. Totally. Because what you lack in that thing and cl- and is clarity. Yeah, And clarity. Because when the top is off, it's super loud and everything's muddy. So I figure with those 6.5s right next to my ears above my head, I'll be able to hear that. And there's enough power for from the factory system to power those speakers without doing a, an additional amp. And it's all plug and play. And it'll give me better sound quality. And the best part is it's still matchy-matchy with being all Alpine stuff. So, like, the sub in the back is an Alpine sub. And the speaker, you know, the stereo system is a quote-unquote Alpine is the premium upgrade. And so I'll still have Alpine in there, which is going to be nice. So, but you don't actually know what he's sending you. Well, so I know, I know, yes, I know that So we're going to have to do an unboxing here on the show. So he's going to send me some speakers. Yes. I asked for one set. And then we'll see what shows up. Interesting. He asked me all these other questions. Ooh. I'm like, well, it's a mystery. I don't know. I don't know. What do you have in that box? Uh, so as you recall, <laughs> I already see it. <laughs> as you recall, when uh-huh. our friends uh, from Bilstein came in, yeah. the last show, I was wearing a um, bootleg. It was a bootleg. Horrible. It actually was a bootleg Bilstein Germany hoodie. Yeah. In uh, day glow orange. Which is awful. And, but I felt like I needed to wear some Bilstein. So I think they took pity on me. 
and sent me some official Bill Stein gear. See, there you so go. So I have a whole box of Bill Stein shirts. Ooh, these are bitching. See? These are nice. All right. That is... Oh, I've got koozies! And unlike your uh, other and one, they're act- it's this? actually spelled right. What is this little... This is like a... Is this a, a diaper? No, that's a, a, it's a cleaning cloth. It's a cleaning? That's not a cleaning cloth. Yeah, what is that? Sure, that's a this is something you'd wipe up like spittle with no, on a baby. Is, no, you wipe your sunglasses with Is that it? what it's for? Or your, your screen on yeah. your uh, on your fancy truck. Yeah. Oh, I got stickers. It's, there's more Look stuff. You keep oh pulling stuff out of there. Well, there's hats in here, too. See, there you go. Look at this. Dude, I got loaded. Oh, wait, there's more. Hold on a second. This is like Christmas for lightning. This what is this in this little box? <gasps> oh, that's the cool oh, uh, bypass keychain. No way. Look at this keychain. This those is cool. a full bypass shock. Look, it works right too. Here. Squeeze it. Sure does. Yep. Oh, that's. <laughs> Are you done? Can we start the show? Yeah, it's the Truck Show Podcast, the most listened to truck enthusiast podcast on the planet. All right. Uh, we got to thank our presenting sponsor, Nissan. Nissan has been with us since the beginning, and we love their trucks. So if you're in the market for a half-ton or mid-sized truck, you want to head on down to your local Nissan dealer, where you can check out the Frontier, the Titan, or the Titan XD. And, of course, the Titans have the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Get to listen to the Fender audio system, where you don't need an upgrade. Nope, you sure don't. <laughs> Super comfortable zero-gravity seats, utilitrack rails, and a whole lot of other features. You uh, want a reliable, dependable, awesome truck for uh, daily driving and doing all your truck stuff? then you'll definitely want to add the Nissan Titan or Frontier to your list. And if you've got a four-liter Wrangler and your headers are on the way out, they're rusted or they're cracked like so many of them are, Banks, maybe a surprise to some, offers the most popular headers for a four-liter Jeep. I can't tell you how many of these things we sell, Holman. It's bonkers. When I started, it was already the number one most popular product. It's kind of been eclipsed by the Derringer it's Tuner sort of and the Pedal Monster. But like, nothing to do with diesel or anything. It's a, just a old straight six. So I, I actually kind of do know. Like, do you remember when Banks launched the Sidewinder, yes. uh, the the turbo system? Yes. For the, okay. Well, the, that system is gone. It doesn't exist. But the headers are still there. But holy crap! Are the headers still there? Holy mackerel! So you guys. Everyone blows through those headers. If you want the best ones available for your Wrangler 4.0, bankspower.com. And before your next adventure, you want to head over to onyxmaps.com where you can check out the Onyx Off-Road app. You can download that from Google Play or the Apple App Store. It is the best map app out there for your off-highway adventures. You can go farther with confidence. 650,000 miles of open trails, 60,000 campgrounds and cabins. It's the off-road map app that's built for adventure. You can discover off-road trails. You can save maps for offline use when you don't have a cell signal. You can track, save, and share trips. You can look at private and public land info. You can customize with markups. And you can sync with CarPlay or Android Auto. And my favorite feature is you have the route builder. So you can build a route for your next trip on your laptop and share it with your friends, and it automatically populates across all your devices. All of this and more at onyxmaps.com. Oh, and by the way, if you sign up for the Elite subscription... There's over 20 different partners where you can get discounts and deals, and one of those is a free digital subscription to OVR Magazine. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck, because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted. We have the lowered and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on Truck Show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. 
Coleman, on this next interview, I want you to promise me that you're not going to gush all over the guest. Uh, sure. <laughs> Are you going to be able to restrain? Yeah. You've been talking about Brad Lovell for, I think, six months now. Who's, who's the guest? Brad Lovell? Brad Lovell's a guest? <laughs> oh my God, it's going to be amazing! <laughs> no, because he's out doing cool stuff. I keep going, hey, you got to keep an eye on my racer friend, Brad Lovell, because he's like going down to Australia and he's mm-hmm. winning like Ultra 4 and he's doing stuff with the Bronco people for Ford and he says, the guy's everywhere. I'm just saying you're a little bit of a fanboy. No, he's my friend and I like cool people that get to do cool stuff. <sighs> okay, good. Well, I'm excited to meet him. Can I, sh- can I call him? You had a guy who literally did a newscast on ghost cars with headlights. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> okay. So now, <laughs> well, now we're going to do something with a guy that's actually uh, doing something truck-related. That was not truck-related at all. You're right. Damn, you're right. All right, you got me there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to dial Mr. Brad Lovell. Hey, Sean. Hey, it's Lightning at Home and Truck Show Podcast. What's Is this up, Brad? Off-road Hall of Famer Brad Lovell? <laughs> yeah, how are you doing, guys? No, 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 that would be championship driver Brad Lovell. <laughs> I think Either Off-Road way. Hall of Famer is better. How about Amsoil Athlete Brad Lovell? I think they're all cool. By the way, you're gonna, he's going to see you next week when you go to Amsoil. He's already seen me because oh, this, really? this is yeah. after. This is after. So yeah. as we're recording this, I haven't been, but Brad and I were hanging out at the Influencer Dinner <laughs> last Friday night. I don't know if he knows that or not, but we right. were, he doesn't we were know that. Out. Oh, we were drinking. We were throwing back Pilsners. Is that what you guys yeah, are doing? I think, he, yeah, he's, no, I'm sorry. He's an IPA guy. Well, he and I were uh, eating dust uh, last week in Nevada, so... Uh, Brad, you're lucky yeah. to see both of us within the course of a couple weeks. <laughs> Before we can let you yep. talk, we got We got to interrupt you with a quick intro. Don't move. Here we go. Truck famous hero star VIP ace big wig hot shot truck famous big shot big deal big gun big cheese heavyweight superstar truck famous. That's what you are. Truck freaking famous <laughs> right there. How's that for an intro? <laughs> I dig it. It's pretty extreme. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so last week, uh, or I guess a couple of weeks by the time you guys hear this, I was out in Nevada, um, and Ford, as a lot of you know, have set up these off-rodeos for Bronco owners around the country. Well, they just set up their very first off-rodeo for Bronco Raptor owners, and so we got to drive out, and Brad was uh, instrumental in uh, setting up these courses. In fact, on there was kind of the Baja course and the Ultra 4 course, and on the Baja course, there's like a staging area before, and you know there was instructors with each person for the media, so you could kind of watch people go through and and launch you know Bronco Raptors off this berm. And I saw this one Bronco Raptor go flying like three car lengths and like a Bronco high off of it. I'm like, I don't know who's driving that, but that's awesome. So I run to the end to see who it is because uh, I think it's Gonderman because Gonderman's uh-huh. in the car. No, it's Brad driving. I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, we expect that from you, sir. No, no, no. The sad trombones for Jason. But, oh, is that? Yeah, but we get the uh, clapping for Brad. Oh, okay. All right. Let's see my friends. There we go. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, well, I have had a couple laps around that track. So, uh, yeah, yeah how, many, how many laps total do you think you uh, put into that? helping to build that course well you know we've been out there uh looking at different properties and and setting stuff up uh lauren healy and vaughn Gittin, uh bob burns and myself that's a good uh, crew by the way a core team yeah it's a very very dynamic a lot of different personalities there but, <laughs> uh yeah but we found that area and uh it's it's this big old quarry 
uh, an old mine up above, and what a great place. Uh, there's all these big rock hills that remind me. You remember those commercials with uh, the uh, built Ford Tough Ford commercials towing a Chevy up the rock pile? And yeah, it had like another the, Chevy in, in the, the bed. bed. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. That's it's exactly what that area reminds me of. I love it down there. So, yeah, uh, you know, we've we've all worked together, and I think we came up with a pretty cool course. There's some jumps, there's some whoops, uh, desert stuff. Uh, track stuff, some rock, ultra force stuff, so a little bit of everything. Well, one of the cool things about the course is there is a all too short whoop section that has some pretty darn good sized <laughs> whoops through it, and the Bronco Raptor soaks it up just perfectly at about fifty miles an hour. You hit it; it's right on the top, it's like as you go over it, and right as you get up to speed and you're just floating on top of the the tabletops on the whoops. Boom, you have to slam on the brakes because there's a hard right turn at the end of it. And so uh, Brad's like, hey, have you been on the Ultra 4 course yet? And I'm like, no, not yet. He goes, all right, so here's the deal. The uh, the whip section is really good, but you're going to want to break way earlier than you think. Yeah, that was definitely the case. Did you go over the edge? No. No, okay. I'm not a horrible driver. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've been uh, we, we've been crafting those whoops, and it's the most impressive thing to me about Bronco Raptor. and. And just, you know, vehicles with suspension in general is getting on top of whoops. It blows my mind. But, yeah, that section's just long enough to get you a taste, and then you got to shut it down. Yeah, that, that course was amazing. I, I think it's it's great because there was everything. There was, between the two courses, you had a whooped-out section, you had rocks, you had silt, you had berms, you had jumps, you've had tight decreasing radius or hairpin turns that are all dug out from people going before you. So the, the course, there's some really like sloppy, loose kind of gravel that, that's definitely going to change into form as different drivers go through there. It's like everything that you would want to experience in the desert all in, in this couple acres of land. And I was really impressed how much the Bronco Raptor in that environment, in its, in its proper setting, because I think the Bronco Raptor for like the average overlander is probably overkill. But if you want to go chase Baja or you want to go on some gnarly trails and you want to huck it, that thing is phenomenal for a vehicle that has a warranty on it. Yeah, I, I hear you. It is, it is pretty fortunate we ended up with all that, uh, you know, different features out there. One thing we weren't counting on is the silt. And the silt is getting pretty nasty out there. Uh, it, it's pretty rutted. But, you know, everything we're seeing out there is what Baja is all about. I love being down in Baja. Uh, we've... I've been lucky enough to pre-run with my son down down there in a in a Bronco Raptor, and we put almost a thousand miles on one. And you know, no worries at all. We drove it down from the U.S., did all that off-road pre-running, and you know, we weren't going easy on it. So yeah, you're you're exactly right. That's where it's home. And you know, incrementally, you just keep putting on more miles because you can keep the pace up, and and you're comfortable doing it. So whether you want to push it hard. We're just kind of cruise along. It's going to be a better, more comfortable ride. And I, uh, I'm really thankful that Ford's willing to, to kind of push the ceiling and see how much content they can get in a vehicle. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think, uh, you know, in the tighter trails of like the East Coast or Pacific Northwest, it would be too wide because I don't think people realize the Bronco Raptor is about the same width as a F-150 Raptor. And so one of the hard things for me was getting in behind the driver's seat, was reorienting myself with where the corners of the vehicle were and where the tires were in relationship to those because it is so wide. And I felt like there are times 
I'd cut a corner on the trail to miss a rock, and I'd still hit that damn rock. And I'm like, ah, damn it, I did it again. And I haven't driven. A while. What, are, what are the sight lines on the left and the right like? Like where it dips well, off at the, 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 the problem of the fenders. The, the, the thing about the Bronco Raptor is, and the Raptor or the Bronco General is, it has the trail sights on the leading edge of the fenders, and those are amazing for telling where the corner of the vehicle is. The problem is the Bronco Raptor is so much wider. <laughs> your tire is in, you know, behind that mark and way outside, and so it takes a little while for you to kind of calibrate where the tires are in relationship to the rest of the vehicle and um once you figure that out it's 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 really playful it's really good but you just got to be careful not to clip things on the side that you're trying to avoid so wait do you need a set of curb feelers from like a 1970s cadillac (laughs) i don't think i don't think those are going to help you or or you need some really strong sidewalls uh but yeah yeah, bronco uh raptor is 87 87 inches uh outside of tire to outside of tire where like a Sasquatch Bronco would be 80 inches. Uh, I believe uh, F-150 Raptor is the same. Uh, and then, you know, a trophy truck or something might be pushing up around 92 inches. Uh, so it's, it's definitely wide. getting wide. Yeah. And I believe that, what is it, 12 inches or 13 inches of front travel and 14 inches of rear, something like that, which is a f- freaking yep. crazy numbers for production 4x4, especially – Something that has 14 inches of travel that does not intrude into the passenger cavity or cabin, and you don't have to have like a cantilevered shock. Like there's still a traditionally upright position shock, although the Bronco Raptor uses coilovers. But the fact that you're able to get that much wheel travel out of them is is I mean, it's coming right off the showroom floor with something that 10 or 15 years ago was a mid travel kit, and 20 years ago was a long travel kit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's so interesting to me, uh, you know, being part of the development process to see how OEMs react to the things that, you know, we've been doing forever to get travel like that. And, you know, let's talk about rod ends, for example. Oh, yeah. Uh, or spherical bearings. They don't call them ser- spherical bearings. They call them cross-access joints. But what they've done is, you know, kind of encapsulate a high-quality rubber membrane around it. So it, it keeps dust and dirt out, and it'll live for – 150, 200,000 miles, but you still get the, you know, the performance that you need out of it for off-road. So it's always interesting to me to see how these things adapt into something that'll last uh, for that, you know, for the lifetime of the vehicle without needing maintenance. Well, you've left your fingerprints on even the base model Bronco. One of the things that you helped develop was the one-pedal drive feature, which allows you you know, especially good for a novice driver who doesn't want to work all the pedals and just wants to drive, kind of like almost an EV in a sense, but but in a gas-powered vehicle. So you got a lot of D-cell when you like A go. lot of D-cell and the brakes kind of do their thing, and then you just have to steer and accelerate. And uh, Brad was one of the people that helped develop the feel of that. I'll tell you, it's it's really a weird sensation for somebody like me who likes to work the pedal and likes vehicle dynamics, but I can completely see the value in somebody who is taking that vehicle into a place and they want to have full concentration on picking their line and the least amount of worry about what the vehicle's doing, it's a pretty phenomenal feature for somebody in that that use case. Brad, how is that accomplished mechanically? What it does is it, uh, you know, the vehicle has an electronic brake booster. So now it's not brake by wire, but it's very close. So it can fire the brakes uh, independently of you putting input into the brake pedal. Uh, so it's actually firing the brakes over the accelerator a little bit. So in low range, kind of the concept there is when you're 
cresting over a boulder with your front tire and, and you might not be oriented to where it is. A lot of times you kind of plot off the other side and you get suspension compression and you hit your rocker panel or underbelly or something. This, it, it's going to catch you much faster uh, when you let off the throttle instead of kind of freewheeling over the other side. It's just going to catch you with the brakes. So it's simulating what, you know, a lot of us more proficient off-road drivers do maybe with left foot braking where you're overlapping those inputs. So no, that's kind of the idea. And boy, it, it, it was years ago. I still have the email somewhere, but uh, one of the engineers over there challenged me, said, hey, Brad, come up with three good ideas. So I thought about it for a while and and I gave him two and then kind of came up with the idea of one pedal. So it, it stuck. I don't remember what the other ones were. They must've been junk, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's kind of cool to, to have some influence in, in a, in a, in any product of this scale. But for me, especially Bronco, because we've always been Bronco people. We've always owned a Bronco, grew up in the backseat of a Bronco. And, uh, I'm, I'm just so happy with what it is, the way it's come back. So it was interesting because I was part of a industry panel that worked with Ford for the better ah, part of yeah. five years to do the development and, and, and help shape the Bronco, but we never got to drive it. So the first time that I had a chance to actually drive the Bronco was with Brad in Austin, Texas, in the Hill Country, where they have a Bronco off-rodeo. And uh, Vaughn was out there. Uh, Brad was out there taking media for these off-road loops and kind of showing what the vehicle was capable of. And it was really weird to go from the setting where you're in a room, you're seeing designs, you're helping features and content, you're talking about the things the vehicle should do. And then it's real. And then it's real. And then somebody you know was yeah. the guy who helped implement like the, <laughs> the actual feature in real life. And we had only seen it on paper or in you know uh, uh, 3D or whatever. And so t- the time those two things came together, it was pretty cool to have that experience and be like, wow, all right, people I know like Vaughn and Lauren and Brad – were the guys that actually implemented the things that me and some of these other folks from the industry were like, yeah. it needs to happen. So, you know, what's so interesting, Sean, is I, I knew about that panel. I didn't know who was on it. It was kind of like, you know, the other half of the, the house, I guess. So uh, myself and another guy, Jason Hutter, who, who have uh, helped do support for Ford uh, in the desert, you know, we were, we were kind of the, I guess, the, panel for uh some of the engineers that we dealt with and then there's this whole other panel and it's nobody is talking to each other it's completely separate but yeah i never knew uh, i always uncover who has been on that panel so it's interesting so i want to i, I wanna, mean what a, what a special thing to be part of huh i mean i it's, mean it's pretty cool the the ability to even have you know my name come up and have the mask and and be able to be a part of that type of stuff. You know, it's, it's really cool. I like to call it like the Fox and the Hound relationship where as a journalist, there's not many opportunities where an OE trusts you to talk about products that are years in advance. And so here you are, you make a reputation, you don't burn people, you have a good point of view, you sign a lot of paperwork and they, they bring you in, you know, under the tent early and you get to help, you know, mold and, 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 develop and push in a certain direction these products that you think are going to be better. And I think Ford was smart because I think the product is better because of all the people that they had that weren't within the company that provided all the insight to say, this is what it needs to be. I I totally agree. I I feel that they listened to the industry and didn't settle on saying, no, we can't do that. Having input, Sean, and Brad having input 
in, so much input in Ford. I want to rewind the clock a little bit. Your first like off-road truck was uh, a Ranger, correct? Right out of college. And I'm curious. Yeah. And so was mine. I, so there's right. There's a little connective <laughs> tissue there. But I, I want to find out, like you, were, what kind of engineer were you? Mechanical, electrical? I don't know. Well, I want to find or out what he did to his truck first, right? I want, that, well, hold on. I want to go in order. First, right, I want to find right. out his, his college education <laughs> and how he got led into off-roading and then how that turned into eventually okay. he was a Ford geek. And then he turned into like uh, so he's, he's giving now information to Ford that turns into vehicles. Like it's all magical. So, so here's the short story. Uh, when I was 16, I got a 1988 Ford Ranger, which I thought was so cool. But what did I really want was a Jeep. My dad wouldn't allow me to have a Jeep because they, you know, they roll over. He wanted to be safe. So he got me a Ford Ranger. So I, I'd tinker with it, and I did this and that. I went to college uh, to get a mechanical engineering degree. I wanted to go work for Ford. I wanted to design gears and all this cool stuff. And I got to thermodynamics, and I realized mechanical engineering is not for me, and I don't <laughs> want to end up in Dearborn uh, designing door handles or window cranks or something. So I, I uh, switched over to structural engineering, kind of designing buildings and stuff like that. Right after I graduated college, I took this uh, sojourn. I went to school in Wyoming, so I left from Wyoming. I took three weeks. I went down through Utah. I did it just by myself, camped out by myself, went to national parks. Along the way, <clears throat> I went to one of the old school rock crawling events. Uh, I think it was an ARCA event in Cedar City. And I saw what was going on, and it's like, it's like we can do this. I can, you know, we can beat these guys. And... So I went home uh, and I, I had a job as an engineer. I took $5,000 out of the bank and, you know, I was making pretty good money. I was living with my brother, tore down my, my Ranger and made it into a, uh, a competition rock. And, and Roger and I went out from there and, you know, six years in a row, we were, we were dominant and won championships. And, you know, I can't say enough about the grassroots motorsports and the ability no, that's what launched our motorsports team. It's what launched my career. And uh, it's really important to keep motorsports accessible. I think it's something that UTVs are doing right now. But to me, it's really important to have areas to go and events to go to because it's what gave me start in motorsports. Go back to that, that Ranger that you were winning those events with. What was your advantage? The fact that you had a mechanical engineering background and the other guys were just a bunch of fabricators that didn't really understand the, the geometry behind the, the cars or what? You know, I think the advantage uh, was that there was a group of four of us, my brother, myself, uh, our buddy Dave and, and my cousin Mark, and we just go wheeling and we didn't care about, you know, being big stars or getting in the middle of everything, but we cut our teeth in Colorado and we started going to Moab uh, and, and we did a lot of tough trails. And I think we, we kind of got good in a microcosm and, and yes, I think it, it's a combination of driving and engineering, building the vehicle, knowing what works and what doesn't. Plus having my brother there that, you know, he's my brother and we'd already been wheeling for 10 years before that. So we got along pretty well and we, you know, know how to communicate and know what each other's saying. So I think all those things culminated in our success, but I, I really do take pride. I mean, now we're, we help develop stuff and design stuff, but our, our Ranger here that is, uh, 
geez, I think it's 16 years old. Uh, it's still capable of going out and winning the EMC race at King of the Hammers. So uh, I, I take a lot of pride in, in the development of, of the vehicle and the actual fabrication and then obviously driving it. But here's the flip side to that is that when you lose and you suck, then you have nobody else to blame but yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, when I got one of my – uh, I can't remember which Ranger it was. I think it was my my 94. I had a splash 4x4, four 4-liter, four, four A4LD right. trans. So I had the uh, the 8.8 eight rear end. I had the sport seats in it, and it was black. The thing was awesome. And I, I ha- had the uh, goofy colored splash stripes removed. But I remember we used to go out to watch you know, Best in the Desert, and, and you know we'd go hang out by the side of the race course and stuff. And I'll never forget this one dude in a Ranger, you know, it was probably a 7S truck or something like that, comes over a rise and his wheel flew off. Oh, no. And it, my, the way my truck was parked, it was straight into my truck and the wheel went by one side and he stopped about five feet short of my truck on the side of the racetrack. And I was like, don't hit my truck. Don't hit my truck. Wow. Don't hit my, I mean, I was probably like 17 <laughs> years old or something like that at that time. Eventually, I, w- I bought a 2002 Ranger FX4, so the first year of it before they called it the Level 2 and made it all sorts of marketing mistakes on it. And that truck was a 4-liter stick, and then uh, we put a uh, Explorer Express blower on it, and it had a Dixon Brothers racing um, long travel kit. So it was 14 inches in the front, uh, 17 wow. inches in the rear with 9100s, and we used to go down to uh, Mexico and chase with that, or, or watch the race and chase down there with that. And that thing was freaking awesome. I remember the first time I took it to Glamis, no cage in it except for a bed cage for the shocks. And I did the sand drags at like, I don't know, it was like 70 miles an hour in it. And it just soaked them up so nice. And all these people were like, dude, what are you doing in that? You have no cage. And I'm like, I don't know. It was great. <laughs> I'm just an idiot. But the, uh, the, the flex of the frame and the body through mm-hmm. the sand drags was so much. That it were the cab and the bed hitting each other? No, the cab and the bed didn't hit the uh, the pinion seal on the front differential. W- basically, got crushed or oblong by the front drive shaft moving so much. Oh, up and down that it started leaking out of the pinion seal after that trip. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe it's maybe I shouldn't do stupid stuff like wow. that. Wow, but it was cool. I, I love that truck. <laughs> so you, Brad, you you go into the Ford world through the Ranger. Really, you wanted a Jeep, but you never really went back to a Jeep, did you? You were kind of a, a Ford guy through and through at that point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we one thing it forced us to do was build our own parts because it, there was some stuff for Rangers, but we wanted to go rock crawling. And you know, I bought this super lift lift kit, and it was all right. We put it on there, and I remember we went out to Moab one time and broke one of the radius arms and. And I put a come along on it and I pulled it all back together and I had to drive back to Wyoming, go to school for three weeks before I could go to Colorado to fix it. And, you know, when, when you do stuff like that, you find better ways to, to make stuff work. So I am thankful, uh, you know, for that experience because, you know, there's so much available for a Jeep. I probably just would have would have bought stuff and not had to think about it so much. And what's really cool for me is just over the 4th of July, uh, my son Adam has a guess what? A Ford Ranger. <laughs> and uh, he has a 92. He put solid axles in it. Nice. And he and and my other son, Byam, and some friends, they took their first trip out to Moab. And, uh, you know, they, they broke some stuff. They, they had me sweating a little bit when they told me they were going to go do cliffhanger oh, and all no. that. But, oh, uh, <laughs> but long story short, they, they did have some problems with the Ranger, but they found another Ranger uh, right at the bottom of, uh, you know, there's some houses at the bottom of uh, Moab Rim. 
and found a ranger in a guy's field and ended up buying it for 500 bucks to parts <laughs> off they needed got one ranger home trail trailered the other one so you know it's it's good adventures and that's what i love the most about off-road and, and doing these things is the adventure getting to see things and having uh challenges and overcoming them when did you become like a full-time racer and the follow-up is when was your official dealing with ford and having input on one of yeah. the projects so the the day i became a full-time professional racer was uh, very memorable for me uh it was also the day that my my twin boys were born uh and I, at the time, I was working as an engineer, and I was racing, and I figured I can't uh, do both of those things and be a father also, and my wife supported me quitting my job, and it's been the highest of highs and lowest of lows since then, and it was about six years ago, yeah, just about six years ago, uh, I was in the, the right place at the right time through uh, a, a BF Goodrich event and was asked to take uh, some Ford engineers through the Rubicon Trail so that they could see what the Rubicon was about and what off-road was about. So we, we did that. We, we rented, well, I guess probably, probably cats out of the bag, but we rented some Jeeps. Yes, we did. Cause we didn't have any <laughs> products at the time and, uh, and, and went through the trail and, and it just kind of really developed some. And rapport. it showed up and on the a, Instagram. Oh, did it really? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah right. There are a lot of Jeepers out there and they're like, Hey, look at these guys out here on the Rubicon. They don't belong. <laughs> well, how did they know that they were Ford engineers? Like, how would you know? Well, I can't remember. Are if... they wearing like Ford, like, like members only jackets? You no. Know what I'm <laughs> yeah. Sh- <laughs> short, short collared shirts with uh, pencils in the pocket. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's uh, some later development drives that had camoed vehicles and then the mix of camo vehicles with rental Jeeps ah. and things like that. And, I mean, the locals know who goes up there. Yeah, so and they're not the first manufacturer to to go test. Before on the you jump right. out of that story, Brad, what were the engineers surprised by that trip? Tell me about. It. I know you. I don't don't name any names, but tell me about that that mix of guys who are like they're designing products that have to be beaten, and I, I don't know. I just would yeah. imagine you're blowing minds up there. I I don't know that it it blew anybody's mind, but you know the Rubicon Trail, Johnson Valley, Baja are all very different places than Michigan. So I think it validated a lot of the things that that uh, people were saying, like you, Sean, you know, it's like, oh, well, you need rocker panel protection or, you know, all those things, all of a sudden they could see why. And I believe that everybody that works for Ford is really, really smart. They just have to understand the context of the problem. So it, it gave me a chance to interact with these guys. And I suppose my engineering background bought some credibility or allowed me to communicate on, on these folks level. And it's you know, that led into a whole lot of scouting, which I've learned is absolutely the best part of testing (laughs) scouting. Oh dude, for Uh, sure. Somebody pays your gas (laughs) to go tell you to go find places to go wheel again. Yeah. I, I I have my new business. uh, That's one of the tenants of that business is like, you know, somebody pays me goes, Hey, I want a trip. Uh, for my group, can you pre-run something yeah. and put something together? It's like yes. Professional scouting, or oh, one of my buddies, uh, Eric Falar, he told me uh, back in the day he quit racing. He's just going to be a professional pre-runner. Which I figured, you know what? That's probably the best job there is. Heck but, yeah! But yeah, it uh, you know it, it led into a lot of years of uh, uh, testing the Bronco and refining it and, and working through things and getting it so it's a hundred percent 
best that it can be. And then, uh, you know, it also led into, you know, some motorsports opportunities, which dovetail with our race scene. Bronco R down in Baja, who could forget that? The, the first year is a little bittersweet. You know, we we tried really hard. We threw everything at it, and 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 we didn't make it to the finish. And what what bugs me is that I put 200 miles on that truck uh, the day before the test. That was the year it got delayed a day because of rain. Oh yeah. And and I thought it was ready. And and I always remember that because you know a lot of times when you think you got it just right, you can still get fooled and. And that one, that one got me. So, well, what, what happened? Uh, the I, I desert. Don't, I, I don't know the full story. What the happened? desert is always the great equalizer. It is for sure. So really, it was it was death by a thousand needles. Uh, we had bad luck. Uh, so when I was in the the truck, um, we had a skid plate come loose. It it sounded like it was the back of the skid plate rattling against the ground. Again, this is my fault. I should have stopped. Well, what it was is the front of the skid plate. So it was scooping down into the dirt, and it it uh, grabbed into the dirt so hard it wound around uh, the back up by the rear drive shaft and cut two transmission lines. Oh, so man, we we were uh, we were we were down, and we were able to patch it together. <laughs> Funny story: we uh, we didn't have a funnel to fill up the transmission, and the fill port uh, on these is down right on the transmission. There's no dipstick. So I'm trying to make a funnel out of uh, duct tape and all this stuff. And, and a Ford engineer was down there, and he said, hey, Brad, use your catheter. So, <laughs> hey, great idea. <laughs> it's, it's a little awkward, but, I mean, well, I'm sure you took, so, I'm sure you took I, it off first, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, again, it's like these guys are really smart. They just kind of understand the context of the problem. So, uh, yeah, so we, we, we had that, and then uh, I think there was – some damage to an upright later on, but it, it just, you know, it's, it just wears you down and once behind the Baja, always behind. And it's, it's a true test. Yeah. Baja, Baja is a magical place for sure. And it's the ultimate, you know, I don't care what you're doing elsewhere in the world. It's the ultimate man and machine against uh, yeah. nature. I mean, it just, it's just grueling. And also amazing all at the same time. So you go from, I want to go back to the Rubicon Trail. You you go through with the Ford engineers and you give them some valuable insight. They go back and they hopefully incorporate some of those ideas into the, into the future trucks. What was the next big project that brought you even more deeply into Ford? Well, I think, you know, it's, uh, we, we kept uh, going out and, and doing different scouting missions and checking stuff out to, to find, you know, really where we wanted to test the Bronco. So uh, then there was the, the day when I guess I get to see my first Bronco as it was, which was, you know, heavily in camouflage. And it was about 35 degrees out and rainy. So it, it was maybe uh, not, maybe a little underwhelming. There's camouflage inside. I didn't even know what I was driving. <laughs> um, they're like here drive this uh, rubber made trash can with like yeah. you know uh trash bags over the uh over the dash you know there's a lot of testing and assessment with that and then i guess you know the next thing that uh the next program that evolved from that is the 4600 uh broncos that we've raced in king of the hammers now so you know that project started pretty early on and uh 
there's three of them built. Uh, there's one that we race uh, through level racing and uh, I call them Vorin, but uh, Vaughn and Lauren have one <laughs> that they're racing. And then uh, <laughs> do, they, do they know that you call them Vorin? I think they oh, probably do. Yeah. I'm, I'm so <laughs> yeah. disappointed that I just heard about this now because I was uh, in Moab for Easter Jeep Safari. And uh, I was uh, in the Jeep uh, stand looking at the 390, the new 24 updated 392. And Lauren walks up behind me and he's like, oh, hey, Sean. And then I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? I look over and Vaughn's on the other side of me. Oh, it would have been so great to go. Oh, Lauren, it's so good to see you. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have your chance. Oh, Um, I'm totally using that, just so you know. So, uh, you know, now now with uh, Ford Performance, uh, I helped uh, develop the, you know, the Bronco and, the 4600 Bronco and go out and validate it, test it, refine it. And then once we got uh, the first one, right, which is mine, uh, which it, it takes some time. uh, Then they made two more carbon copies. And I I was a little doubtful because, you know, any, any truck that you're using off-road, any custom built thing, you have new truck blues and you have to work your way through all the little issues with it. But those two Broncos right out of the box were amazing. And, uh, you know, again, I learned something. It's, it's like it really works well to, uh, you know, build one development vehicle and then refine everything and take diligent notes and just keep building more after that. Uh, you brought up Ultra 4, and I wanted to get to that place in your career because you have crushed it at Ultra 4 out in Johnson Valley. And it is kind of a West Coast thing. People travel from all over the country to go to Ultra 4. Well, you're talking about King of the Hammers. King Ultra, of the Ultra 4 is bigger than King I'm of the Hammers. I'm sorry, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. So let's talk about King of the Hammers in Johnson Valley, California. What what attract, What do you move in there in the shop there? What, do you, what kind of you do? Construction? You building a truck? He's actually building a racetrack right now. <laughs> um, so what brought you to Johnson Valley? And, and, and give us your perception and how would you describe it to someone who's who lives on the East Coast and why they need to see it in person? Yeah, so what drew us there? Well, we could see, you know, rock crawling, professional rock crawling was kind of tapering off. Uh, XRA, we've done XRA rock racing, which is like rock drag racing. That was great, but you could see that maybe it had a shelf life or maybe it's tapering off. And here's an event that's combining rock crawling, rock racing, but bigger than that, it's like the adventure of desert racing. And I've I've done different types of racing, spent a lot of years doing short course racing. And I love it. I love the, the adrenaline and the real quick. I was going to bring up short course racing because we skipped over it. So 2010 or so, you were actually racing pro lights. And I think you were, and this is not for this to be a big, Ford commercial, because this is about Brad, although it sort of is a Ford commercial because there's a lot of Ford. You were actually with Nissan at the time, right? No way. Yeah, 20, uh, 2011 and 2012. Uh, we won a championship for Nissan in 2012. A uh, great friend of mine, Ron Stukenberg down there, was uh, uh, instrumental in the program. And, yeah, Nissan came out to our shop here in Colorado Springs and, uh, used it to race a leaf up uh, Pikes Peak, and we raced our Pro Light up Pikes Peak. So, yeah, yeah, I did did race for Nissan for a couple of years. Unfortunately, you know, with OEMs, uh, things can take a different direction. Yeah, it's and, just a few people were, changing, and 
and yep. things happen. I will say though, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it has to be one of the best things as a driver to go race in inappropriate places like taking the pro light up Pikes Peak or something like that. Taking your vehicle that you know is really good in the discipline it was made for and then go playing with it in some other form of racing yeah. has to be freaking awesome. So that to me is the whole uh, ultra four mentality. And and those are my people at the end of the day. It's, you know, if, if you have a NASCAR, you're only going to go to your NASCAR. Well, maybe you'll do Le Mans every now and then. I don't know. But sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, the whole idea of Ultra 4 is I have this cool vehicle. What can I do with it? You can wheel on the weekend. You can go to King of the Hammers and do these different type events. And I, I really respect that diehard attitude about Ultra 4. Yeah, so, so King of the Hammers has kind of been part of our career for, for many, many years. But uh, it was the, the sense of uh, exploring a new area. We've been out there to Cougar Buttes early maybe 2004 i think for a rock crawl and all i can remember is how hot it was <laughs> um, yeah but but to come back and see the challenge of king of hammers I, I i don't know it's impressive and, and it's changed a lot uh we were we were at the you know the second one i guess not the og 13 one but the second one and that year it was all clustered around the phone bush which is still there it's still out in the middle of means dry lake you know is is small group and every one of us thought we were going to win that race uh, <laughs> and well of course and, you always do right uh, otherwise you wouldn't do it and and that's right when we de- debuted the the ranger that uh, we still have in the shop today so that was 2000 gosh i think 07 and and we went out there and we were teammates with uh rick Huseman at the time through fabtech and his his brothers and family uh, Dan and Jeff and Kevin, they were all out helping out and they were going to help us tune our shocks. So they say, okay, Brad, go through these whoops here and, you know, we're going to see what the truck does. So granted, this is my brand new rock crawler. And I, I drive through the whoops. Hey, try it again, Brad. I drive through the whoops, come back like, Brad, we're just not going fast enough. So it's like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. So Jeff Huseman got in and I slid over to the right seat. And he hit those whoops. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so uh, I, it was like, I didn't design my truck to do this. This is nuts. So right How about did you that think time, your joints it fell? was like, yeah, oh, exactly. So it was like, all right, why don't you guys deal with tuning my truck? I'm going to go free run. So, so they did. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, we're, we're still working with them uh, through Ford now. But uh, great group of guys. Can you believe what that event has become? I, I'm our friend Rory is somehow affiliated with King of the Hammers and says claims that it's the largest off. All I remember is that he said it trumped hey, Burning it, Man. It's big. How about it that? Trumped Burning Man. It's big, and it's better than Burning Man. It you know it's changed a lot, uh, but the scale of it. I mean, to me now it feels like you know they put a fence around uh, the the main pit area there, I guess, and. Ever since they started doing that, we've been pitted in town, but it really feels like medieval town walls. And you get people, you know, camping up against the town walls because it's safer than than camping away from it. And it's like Mad Max out on Means Dry Lake. Oh, for sure. People driving everywhere and campers. I I saw a uh, a water truck one time stuck in a mud hole out there. It's like the one <laughs> mud hole on Means Dry. 
it's like, how, how does that happen? <laughs> I, and I don't know, but yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. And my, my favorite part of it is getting away from all that hustle and bustle out on the trails and pre-running, uh, especially when it's a beautiful morning, you know, you get out there and just when it's starting to warm up and doing your homework and, you know, a lot of times we hike trails, uh, or, you know, we'll, we always make sure we run every bit of course, but if we have to go out again, maybe we hike them and it's just kind of, uh, it's a, it's a real nice time. And then there's the pressure of the race and we take it pretty seriously. We've, uh, we've won the EMC overall three times and four class wins and 4,800. And my, my buddies, uh, Voren have now beaten us <laughs> twice in the, in the stock class in, in uh, the Bronco. Well, he keeps uh, driving off waterfalls where he doesn't touch anything until right, he lands. Was, and then, that was Lauren, right? Yeah, and post, then posted, posted on yep. social. I mean, that was crazy. That yep. that like, that it, got to people yep. that didn't yeah. even know what that race was. That and the Mel Wade in his uh, Jeep rolling over and then driving out of his roll up a hill are like my two favorite yep. King of the Hammer moments. Yep. You know, that, that I, I absolutely have no idea what, what Lauren was thinking. And when I asked him about it, he's like, oh, yeah, that's a good Good line, you know. He just hopped down. He pooped All himself. Right. You know for sure there was <laughs> I mean, poop in his uh, in his suit. Have you not? Yeah, done and there's no listen. So. There's no catheter for your butt. So <laughs> if, if you scare yourself off road, then you're in it for the rest of the race. Okay, just in case anyone out there doesn't know about that. That's that's the deal. Have you not done anything like that, or is that? Uh, is it th- oh, was Lawrence right run that that extreme? He drove off a well, waterfall basically, but he made or, it or like no big deal. It was like, like five feet. It's crazy. I've definitely done stuff like that, but off-road racing is risk management. And there was a lot of risk. Yeah, that was what he did. That was on the red red zone of the gauge. You know, he he won that one, whether he, uh, you know, was top qualifier or not, he won. (laughs) Dude, that still blows my mind. Like I said, those are my two Ultra 4 moments where you think back in your, your, or King of the Hammers moments where you think back, you're like, I mean, you just are on such pure adrenaline with tunnel vision. Anybody's ever been, especially desert racing, when you're in the car and you're racing, you are f- completely focused on what's around you, situational awareness, what the car's doing. He must have just had the the most amazing tunnel vision, and you're you're probably <laughs> he probably did things with his hands and feet that he like was outside the body or something because I don't know how you, you wouldn't willingly drive over that because literally you're looking at nothing you're just looking just at like, drops and you're like right. oh right and then when you go down you yeah. have to accelerate right because otherwise you'll nose over and you'll end up on your lid so I don't that's yeah. I, I watched these guys when I went to King of the Hammers a couple of years ago it was the strangest thing the guys would come off a small waterfall and they'd go. They'd be vertical, so they're looking directly at the ground because the wheels stick out in front of the, and then the they car. Would goose it, and then they goose it. Any normal person would hit the brakes, well, and that's then, how they, they end up on their lid. I know that, but it's, it's <laughs> right. but it's counterintuitive. It's like, like any dude in Moab who goes down, you know, uh, one of the drop offs, and then gets to the bottom and puts on their brake. Like no, but, no. But how do you? But yep. how, do, how do you learn you that? Drive out. How, well, do, how do you learn by that? watching people yeah, or so. effing up? I can get throttling out but driving into that wall at speed without seeing it is uh is something else and having not hit it before so because there's no way he saw what was on the other side of that it was just desert in front of right right 
I have thousands upon thousands of miles of prowling the desert. And I, you know, yes, I've raced and I've been in race cars and things like that. But like just driving, exploring, whatever, the desert is a crazy place because anything can happen anytime, and and the terrain is always changing. And one storm or monsoon comes through, and now everything you know is completely wrong. And I'm looking at that, going, man, how many times have you gone? on a trail or a road you know or whatever and something's washed out and you get up to you and you're like, oh, something's not right. And you look, there's a five-foot drop. You're like, yeah, no. Yep. And he's at speed going, all right, let's go. <laughs> there are places like that in the sand dunes down in, in Glamis where I've, I, you think you know that it's it's going to just round off and smooth, you know, go down the other side nice and smooth. And then you realize it's a cliff. Womp, womp, And, and you womp. just, oh my God, and you just pucker. You just pucker. <laughs> and so, Brad, I have a question regarding... Other racing styles. So you become quite the thing in off road for. But have you done the sand dunes? Have you? Would you do road racing? Wow. So that that's interesting. Uh, sand definitely fascinates me, and it's the uh, area in off road where I feel least proficient. Uh, there was a class earlier this year that Darren Skilton put on as part of the Sonora Rally that was uh, the part of the World Rally Raid Championship this year. And my son and I went down to do the class, and a lot of it is in dunes. And there are some fantastic dunes in Mexico. Uh, you know, you can see some of the dunes that extend down from Glamis. That, that's not even touching what they have down there. They're just enormous dunes. And, you know, that said, I haven't spent a ton of time in Glamis. I've been through there a few times, but... Yeah, sand fascinates me because I can clearly see, you know, dangers or or know what to do in the rocks, like driving out from the hill. Sand is different. We've sat in Glamis and wondering where that slip face is going to be or that ledge, and there's like a ground blizzard of sand, and we were like five feet from it and could not see it, and that fascinates me. So I have a great appreciation for driving in sand, uh, and as well as the, you know, Dakar style rally raid driving where navigation is very intense. And I say that from being a driver or a navigator, uh, it's all, it's all very intense and it takes a lot of cognitive load in the car to figure it all out. Road racing. I've done track days, a couple of track days. And that's about it. So I consider myself like a road racing, road racing enthusiast and not a pro. And I, I like it because, you know, I can go out and, and get, my, get my kicks pretty easy in that. Just, you know, I, I went, for example, I went for a ride with Vaughn getting doing drifting and I was giggling the whole time. Or we have a, a Mustang GT and just laying it out through some turns. I enjoy that. And I, you know, what's been so fun for me in off-road is is the journey, like the discovery of finding out the next level of capability and the next thing you, you can do. So I don't know that I'll ever road race, but I, I can certainly see myself, uh, you know, doing fun things around, you know, road cars. Uh, but really, I think my heart is in off-road and exploring every corner of it. So speaking of uh, exploring every corner, we talked about our both of us have an affinity for the Ranger. I clearly uh, had one where I built my own Ranger Raptor 
back in the day, essentially, and Ford finally has announced that this year Ranger <laughs> Raptor is coming to America, and you, my friend, had a chance to not only drive it, but you raced it down in one of my favorite places that I wish I, I could spend more time, Australia, and you entered it and raced in the, is it the Fink Desert Race? Is that the right pronunciation? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, that was uh, really unique and, and special deal for us. Uh, that Ranger Raptor, the one that we raced, was built in Australia, and they shipped it over here to North America. The Hughesman brothers I was talking about earlier uh, did some work to it. and, and It was a right-hand drive, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you want to talk about getting used to the, the <laughs> width of a, a Bronco Raptor? Yeah. Try putting yourself on the whole other side of the car. Uh-huh. Yeah, we raced that down in at the Baja 1000 this last year. And, you know, looking back on, on Bronco R and the challenges we had there, I mean, this is where the payoffs were. And we had a – I can't believe it, but we had a clean race. We didn't have a flat tire. We had That's a – Amazing. biggest thing we had was a, a light bar tab broke off on the front bumper so we we took time and welded it up and not a single problem with the truck after that so everything went super smooth now you guys ended up uh winning the production four-wheel drive class uh in that race which has to be uh, huge but i think you also set a record for time as well right well you know baja they don't really keep records because the you know the course is ever changing but but certainly we had a a great run there. Uh, and then that culminated in an opportunity to take that truck back to Australia uh, and race down at Fink. And Fink is uh, very different. I, I, it's, it's everything in Australia. It's like the twilight zone. It's like the U S or Europe, but the twilight it's, zone. Right. It's, it's just Shelby, a little bit different. It's the Shelbyville Simpsons. It's everybody looks yeah, like the exactly. Simpsons, but they're drawn slightly different. And when you hang out in Sydney Harbor, and you walk around, it's a mixture of L.A. and the San Diego Gas Lamp District, and they're all walking around with Dodgers yeah. or Lakers caps, and they're all watching the basketball or baseball games from Wait, America. What? Are, it's, ser- are you serious? You're joking. Yeah, no, in Sydney, Australia. Go walk around the waterfront. It's freaking San oh, yeah. Diego. It's the gas lamp. It's it's hilarious. So it, you're saying I don't need to go then? No, you should go because, there's just, like I said, it's the Shelbyville Simpsons. Everything is slightly different. When I got yeah. off the airplane for the first time when I went to Australia and I get off in Sydney, right, I'm expecting to be just embraced with culture. And what do I freaking see? Subway, McDonald's, and KFC. And I'm like, the Americans have ruined the world. We're the purveyors of food everywhere, except for, I believe, Burger King is called Hungry Jack's there. And so it's the Burger King logo, but it says Hungry Jack's on it. It's literally America, yep. but different. God forbid they get <laughs> they bring you in and out down there. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So, but it's I don't know. I love the well, magic of Australia. But you're right. It's it's everything you already are familiar with. You immediately feel okay. Like you go to some. I've been to Europe and Africa, and there's places you go where you feel okay. I'm a tourist. There's places you go where you go. I'm a complete outsider. You go to Australia, you're like, ah, oh, my people. You just yeah. look kind of funny. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They they talk a little bit different. They. They uh, call McDonald's Mackers over there. Their slang uh, is awesome. They Nobody has the better side slang. Of the sidewalk. <laughs> Back to the Fink race. What, what was really unique about that, it started in Alice Springs, goes down to an Aboriginal community called Fink. You race uh, 140 miles about, you race down to Fink the first day, then you turn around and on the second day you race back. So one thing I didn't even know before the event, but you can go pre-run 
But in Australia, you can't have the exotic half million dollar pre-runners uh, that we have here. So you're pretty much stuck to street vehicles. And it's like a Toyota Ranger Raptor. Oh, I was gonna say, was it like a solid Absolutely. axle FJ seventy pickup truck or something like that? Yep. There, <laughs> there were there were rental cars over there. Like one guy rented a like a seventy series Toyota like that from six T and was pre-running it. That's awesome. So we we were like you know the the badasses down there with Ranger Raptor just running by everybody during the during the pre-run. But it's it's a very it's so much faster than uh, Baja. Trophy trucks were averaging 82 miles an hour wow. through there. And wow. in, in Baja, it might be 55 or right. something. Really fast race. And, uh, yeah, so what you're talking about records, we had a good day going down. We had a great day coming back and set a record coming back, uh, which is which is cool. I, I think, you know, what everybody wanted to do is go down there and win. But uh, my, my son, Byam, and I, he's my uh, navigator in in that truck how and cool was we that we saw the chance to do a little better it was it was really awesome you know that's i appreciate the adventure of off-road and and uh was very thankful for to extend that opportunity to my son and shoot we were just rebuilding some shocks out here an hour ago and i think he might be smarter than me too so <laughs> how, how old is he uh I, well twin boys they just turned 17 that's so awesome They've had a lot of cool opportunity uh, through off-road. And, uh, my son Byam's working down at 3D Off-Road, one of the local fab shops here. And my other son Adam is working uh, for a oh, a, like a, a heavy equipment outfit doing maintenance. So they're both following their passion and spend every minute they can in the shop. So Lightning and I would both like to know, what's it like to be a cool dad? Well, what are you saying? <laughs> we're, we're not cool? No, he's way cooler than you and I are to our kids. Well, then that's okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> well, so here's how it's been explained to me. I don't know that I'm cooler, but I have race trucks. So okay. that, that means I get to hang out with them more than I would be otherwise. Yeah, that's so. that's totally fair. All right. So you said that the race course in Fink was was faster and you know the, the top speeds were or average speeds were better. When you're comparing it to Baja, as we know, Baja, it's it's a massive, massive area that it covers. But what was the, I mean, is it more, I, I get that it's a faster pace, but is it more relaxing in the sense that you're not worrying about truck gobblers and G-outs and whoops? Or were those still things part? Was it mostly a two-track? Was there trail? Was it smooth most of the way? What, what's that Australian yeah. racing like versus the Baja racing and, and California desert racing, for example? Well, that's that's a good question because I, I didn't really know what to expect going over there. And a unique thing about it is you are almost you're basically within sight of a service road the whole time you're on course. So there's a maybe a big wide gravel road that parallels the race course all the way down to think and back. So if you do have a problem, you're certainly not isolated. It's not really a race that you can chase. So you can't really have outside assistance, but it seems a little murky there. The terrain, it's a mixture of like high-speed hard pan. There's not really any rocks, but uh, high-speed hard pan. And then you get into what I guess I'd call glamis whoops, where they're, they're, they're kind whoops. They're not rutted. But the transition between those two can be very abrupt. And, and the whoops can get pretty big. In fact, I saw the biggest whoop in the whole world down there. <laughs> there, there Are you sure it wasn't a hill? 
I, I, I would have gotten stuck in it if I didn't have four wheel drive. Wow. <laughs> At what point there, did, did you have, rises you did you have to put in low range to crawl up to the top of it and get down the other side? <laughs> well, no, but I, but I did have to, you know, throttle through the bottom, like, like Lauren had to do to get off that rock pile. Oh my <laughs> God. big enough for that. When, wow. when does it transition uh, from whoops to like hills? I mean, it, you're tra- a whoop it, is up to what, like three, four feet, five feet at the most. Yeah. And, and that's the hard thing about Fink is it's, and, you know, the whole interior of Australia is very, very much the same. It's not as unique or diverse as the interior of the U.S., let's say. So we flew over the Simpson Desert, and you can see lines of dunes going on, you know, from 30,000 feet as far as you can see, and they look perfectly straight. So if you look at how that might feel on a, on a race course, there's not a lot of visual identifiers to distinguish when it's going to change. Whereas in Baja, I really like to, to pick out, you know, okay, I'm going to get down near the Sea of Cortez. We're going to run through San Felipe. Then I'm going to turn up this wash, down that wash, and I can divide it up in my head. Think that's very hard to do. I, I got caught unawares a couple times on those transition zones. So, you know, on a Ranger Raptor, you're cooking right into them. And next thing you know, you're spending more time in the air than you are on the ground. But <laughs> It's, uh, it held together. Yeah, the, the, just for uh, the sake of our audience, we talked about the uh, the wheel travel on a Bronco Raptor, which is the same chassis, is like 13, 14, or 12, 14, something like that. On the Ranger Raptor, it's, uh, it's 10, 13, or 10, 12, so 10 front and 12 rear, which is still pretty good, but the Ranger doesn't have as big of a wheel well, and it doesn't have as wide of a track, and so I think... When Ford was developing the Bronco, they really wanted that do everything and you know Ultra Four vibe with the Bronco Raptor versus the Ranger Raptor, which is like just a really good go fast midsize truck. So when we're talking about wheel travel and stuff like that, he's racing a stock vehicle. Those transitions can gobble up ten inches of travel really fast. And so, are you hitting the bump stops, or is it does it want to kick the back end up and over? What is that like? So that's interesting because we were pre-running with a guy uh, from Australia over there that had done the race. And he was asking the same thing, you know, well, why aren't you hitting the bump stops? Well, it just Ranger Raptor, they do such a great job with the amount of travel they have that the suspension, it just gets more progressive and you never really feel it bottom out or, or slap against a bump stop or upset the chassis. It just kind of ramps up to the point that uh, you know that you're probably overdriving the truck. They've done a great job with the amount of suspension travel that they have. And then, you know, it's narrower than a, a Bronco Raptor or F-150 Raptor. It's kind of like a mixture between the Wild Track Bronco and a, and a uh, Raptor Bronco. Uh, but, it, but it's narrower, small, smaller tire, lighter that same weight. big 3-liter engine, so it'll boogie. And it's lighter weight, too. So the power-to-weight ratio is going to be bigger. It's going to be a lot better in the uh, Ranger Raptor. Now, having spent some time and pushing it through the limits – do you have, I mean, there's a lot of people listening to the show right now who probably have money in their hands who are like, sight unseen, I don't care. I want a Ranger Raptor, and they're waiting to go throw that money at their local dealer. What uh, advice or, or insight can you give them about what you think that they're about to get their hands on? Is it, uh, are you as excited about it for the U.S. market? Well, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I would certainly go buy it. I, to me, it's, it's not quite at the same level as Bronco Raptor and F-150 Raptor, but that, that's okay. It's a Ranger. And the trade-offs are real nice because it's easier to park. You still have a ton of off-road capability. Um, 
<laughs> I hear that uh, 35 inch tires might fit on there with only minor rubbing if you push it hard. <laughs> I, right. So in the beginning of the interview, I basically said I drove the Bronco Raptor and I felt like it was at home here and it wouldn't be my first choice for say overlanding. But I think that the yeah. Ranger Raptor would be absolutely perfect for overlanding because the size is right, the payload's right, the fact that it's lighter than the Bronco. Yeah. I think it has a, a more fuel capacity. And 33s from the factory set so 37s, but 35s will fit. There's not much you have to do to make a really comfortable desert runner to go explore in. And I, I think that is going to be the, the, the jam for uh, for overlanding. And from what I recall, it had a pretty good uh, load capacity as well. Yep. Yeah, towing capacity is good. Uh, but, I mean, you have a good point. I mean, to me, it just feels a, a little more controllable to park in your garage, to deal with day-to-day. And, you know, hey, me at the end of the day, I want as much capability as I could get. But I, I, I certainly have a special place in my heart for Ranger Raptor. And, and it, to me, it's, you know, speaking by and large, trucks from the 80s have, have gotten – pretty car-like so it's really neat for me to see trucks again you know things that can actually go off-road and uh and do cool stuff and you know i for me you know the tremor stuff falls in that category obviously ranger raptor a lot of products for is coming out with and even jeep <laughs> uh, even jeep it, yeah right <laughs> I I do have Jeeps. I am a Jeep guy. I'm just more of a Ford guy. So that, that's fair. I've got a, a Ford GPW. So I have the ultimate Ford Jeep, and I wow. also and I also have really? uh, my 382. Yeah, I've got a a 42, and the serial number is 9600, I believe. So it's in the first 10,000 ever built. This one was built in uh, in Dallas, and wow, came from my uncle's ranch. Uh, and uh, I have a picture of my uncle and I working on it when I was about 12 years old on the ranch, and he uh, he gave it to me a few years ago. So. Wow. Trying to get it back in driving order. It's got a Buick Oddfire in it, and I want to go do a vintage uh, yeah. overlanding run. I obviously have a bunch of friends well, with flat fenders. I want to do it. Let's do it. I, I have a 43 Willys MB. Let's do it's, it. All right. Uh, I'm down. Yeah, 100% stop. So, so my my goal, I, yeah. won't, I won't say the name of the trail, but certain people like I a, think you told me, right? <laughs> and and I, I hope that when the time comes, you will join. So, like, you know, it'll be Fair like enough. a... a uh, <laughs> A Trent McGee, a Vern Simons, a Christian Hazel, Rick Payway, you know, that group of us magazine guys and a few of our industry friends who all have flat fenders. I want to do this flat fender run when when uh, it's ready to go because I think it'll be so much fun. How abusive is this trail you're thinking Not of? abusive, but it's, it's long and there's camping. And the thing about a flat fender is it either runs perfectly for 200 miles or it doesn't run at all, right? I mean, there's no, there's no real in between either. You either, either you have some sort of, you know, like, uh, like fueling issue, you know, because the engine's oh, yeah. too hot, or you have some spark issue, or you have a cooling issue. I mean, everything wants to eat itself on those things, and it's funny that it's amazing that we won wars with these things because they were literally the the first thing that replaced a horse. And I don't know if the early ones were as reliable. And then you've got magicians like Rick Payway who can fix a flat fender with a Leatherman and some spare parts that he found rusting away in the desert in about five minutes and heal all you know ailments. Although I think all of us suffer from vapor lock. So anyway, it's uh, they're magical vehicles, uh, and I love them. I love them so yeah. much. Mine has vapor locked more times on me than I care to remember. <laughs> it, 
So we started in uh, Moab years ago and, you know, 700 miles back to Colorado Springs, all off-road in, in my 43. Oh, and man. we got to, uh, we got just about to, you know, where Porcupine Rim Trail is yep. in the Sand Flats area there. Yep. And the starter gear stripped. Right, so because why not? Now we have no starter. And, and sure, we didn't have vapor lock like that first day. But every other day we did. So, oh my gosh, what a long trip. Always an adventure. But, oh, but there's something special yeah. when you drive. I had a, uh, a 51 CJ uh, 3A, and it was uh, actually built for a retired executive at Jeep uh, for a retirement present from the wow. guys at Jeep. And I had to sell it years ago, and it sucks because that's the one that got away. But I remember I would drive it on the freeway, and it had an overdrive, and it still had the flathead in it. And I would do everything I could, like lean forward downhill, and, and I had a little GPS on the dash, and I, I reached 61 miles an hour one day in that thing wow. with, with uh, third gear, overdrive, me was leaning like, forward. <laughs> was it screaming? People, I'm in the slow lane going from one exit to the next because I'm like, oh, I'll just take it on the freeway and just bop up a couple exits. No problem, right? People are slamming on their brakes, honking at me, flipping me off. It's, you know, trucks are up my butt. I mean, the whole thing. Jeez. And I'm thinking... They don't know a Jeep just like looks like a Jeep to people. They don't understand that this micro Jeep is 80 years old and it should be a national treasure going down the highway. No, right. they hate you and they want you to die at the hands of their driving. They can't see the sewing machine under the hood. No, they have no idea. <laughs> My record, I think, is about 55 in that uh, MB. That's Same solid. thing, head down, going downhill. <laughs> and boy, how times have changed. Huh? Are you flapping your arms too, just to help the air get by? No, no, no. He turns <laughs> he turns his hat backwards so the bill doesn't catch any extra wind, and then pops right. open the uh, the windshield just so uh, yeah. the, it flows through the glass there. <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> so one thing I, I I forgot to ask you about is on your forty six hundred Bronco race vehicle, you're running Quinn at seventy four welds portals on those, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that that kind of evolved out of this program. Uh, you know, we worked with Quinn to develop that. We were big proponents of portals, and I I still am. And I'm so stoked to see him, uh, you know, broaden the the line into all different IFS solutions because I really think that's where it's at for getting capability out of IFS. It's so it's so sick. I helped him put together that Tacoma that he debuted at Overland Expo West with the uh, portals and 37s on it with no lift and everybody was like walking by jaw dropping and and you know what he's doing the dude's so cerebral. Yep. We've had him on the show talking about portals and uh, I think it's just it's it's so smart and it's such a great, you know, application for, you know, Bronco and Tacoma and the amount of ground clearance you get, it's just that the whole thing is really cool. Well, how much did it help you in your racing endeavors? Like, did it, what did it, was the ground clearance more beneficial than the speed over the ground? Like, what what was the number one advantage? It's ground clearance and then maintaining uh, good suspension geometry and steering geometry. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember years ago, Shannon Campbell built an IFS rock crawler and there's a highlight on YouTube somewhere saying, you know, of him saying IFS stands for it effing sucks. And <laughs> I remember that. That's changed, right? Uh, you know, like like uh, the stay bar disconnect in Bronco, all of a sudden now you can get it to, to articulate a little bit more and portals and, and these new solutions that are coming out. Look, I'm a solid axle guy, but I there's, you know, each has its own place. 
But yeah, it's, you know, one thing about IFS is you have that variable ground clearance 100%. under the front where solid axle, you don't. So, you know, putting portals on anything to get more clearance uh, under that point is important, whether it's Baja running in breaded whoops or King of the Hammers running over rocks. There's a lot of stuff and you can see UTVs do it at King of the Hammers, but just these massive boulders and they're driving straight over them because they have UHMW skid plates and, and it's just about inertia to get over that stuff without getting hung up. So what's next for uh, Brad Lovell? What, what are you uh, focused on for the rest of the year now that you've already won races, broken records, uh, made an OEM, super happy? I mean, is there anything else left to do this year? Well, there's always something. And I, 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 don't, I don't ever want to lift, I don't think. So uh, we're just getting our, our Amsoil UTV ready for Vegas Torino. Uh, my son Adam is going to race it there. So I'll co-drive with him and boy, that's 550 miles. So we'll probably throw his brother or cousin in there for and a while a too. But ass course too, by the way. Indeed. A lot of silt. Um, but we've been uh, prepping that for the last three, three weeks and uh, did, did shots tonight, dr- drenched myself in oil. So uh, we're, we're getting it back together and we'll go do that. And then Hopefully, we'll be spending a little bit of time down in Baja, too. That's so funny. Uh, Lightning and I also drenched ourselves in oil, but it was from donuts and burritos. <laughs> Do you have to tell them about that? I mean, I thought that was between you and I. <laughs> Sorry, did I did I go external with that? <laughs> a little bit, yes. My you heard bad. that. Yeah, that was out loud. <laughs> I think it's a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're so used to uh, you know, eating horrible food in our little shed. That Although, is, uh, I, I got to be honest, I thought you were going to go to like, we drenched ourselves in oil and we laid out in the backyward sunning ourselves. See, that's you know where your like, disgusting <laughs> mind goes. I'm about food and then you're just depraved. I was just oh. thinking about us like in G-strings laying out oh. there and your wife's coming out bringing always, us drinks always takes it. Always takes it. <laughs> Eight, eight feet too far. Oh, dude, Brad, thanks for uh, coming on. I know uh, I, I had hit you up on messaging when you were still in Australia, and uh, and you said, yeah, I'd love to come on when I get back, and then I saw you out at the Bronco thing. But I know you're a busy guy, and uh, really appreciate you making time because I, I think this is a, a great interview for people to hear all the cool stuff you're doing and some of the inside stuff that they can really appreciate. Well, I, I appreciate it, Sean. It's an honor to be on the show, and I love seeing what you guys are doing. So 100% keep it up. Awesome. Thank you. And you can see uh, Brad's um, uh, endeavors at BradLevel44 on the uh, the gram. BradLevel44. Well, uh, I'll see you. Well, I'll see you. No, you've already seen him. I've already seen him. So it was great seeing you, Brad. I appreciate (laughs) it. I'm glad to... uh, like the beer that I bought you, or the whiskey, or whatever, yeah. whatever you prefer. Uh, Thanks for the IPA if the Amsoil. Oh, yeah, there we go. Perfect. And, and, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you for uh, dousing uh, lightning and oil that has nothing to do with food. So he looks like he works on stuff. I appreciate that. <laughs> this is getting weird. I don't All right, know we're out. Here. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> All right, Sean, Jay, thanks, guys. Uh, you All got right, it. Take care. Talk to you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I think uh, Brad's my new hero there, buddy. Uh, dude, I like that guy. He's awesome. How about some news? You up for it? Let's do it. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Ah! Oh, that was good. You totally hung me out to dry. I Damn was just, it. I just wanted to see what you were going to do. Damn it. Hold on. Let me try. Ah! It's not the same. <laughs> we have to do it together. <laughs> Are you really upset about that? Yes. All right, one, two, three. 
Ah! I didn't know you were See, I can't trust you. Right? One, two, three. Ah! Damn it! <laughs> See? Stop it! I gave you the opportunity to do it with me, and you try. I'm you doing it again. Ready? One, two, three. Ah! Yes. All right. Are you happy now? Yes. Can we get on you. with the news. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Uh, Lightning, did you hear? No. Nope. So here's a good one for you. And I read uh, articles from analysts and things like this. So Ford, who, as you know, had a F-150 Lightning start at a pretty low price. I think it was around forty-nine thousand. And over the last- Was uh, that $20,000 ago? Yeah, something like that, because there's been several price increases since then. Well, come to find out Before you tell me, is the increase commensurate to the Maverick price increase? Can you let me finish the story? Go ahead. Lightning has been reduced in price from $6,000 to $10,000, depending on trim level. What? So, um, (laughs) kind of of funny, too- uh, uh, Elon Musk wrote in a post, the Ford Lightning's a good vehicle, just somewhat expensive, especially given the high interest rates these days for any kind of loan. But uh, Ford claims that they've been working hard in the background to make the production more efficient and the buying of materials more efficient. And they said after they launched the F-150 that materials costs were really high, and so they had to pass it on to the consumer. Well, now they're saying, oh, it's efficient. Well, then some of these uh, you know analysts are going, well, the real story is... All these manufacturers are creating way more electric vehicles than there are demand right now, and they're too expensive. Wow. And, and there's a lot of uh, EVs apparently uh, coming out of the factory. So anyway, uh, the starting price uh, is forty nine nine ninety five and goes up to uh, ninety one nine ninety five for the platinum version. So what does that uh, do for the Cybertruck? I don't know. Maybe will, will he undercut them? Will he be thirty five or forty? I, I highly doubt that, but. It'll be interesting to see uh, where they end up. As a refresher of where everything lands right now, the previous MSRP was, uh, and I'll go uh, Pro and then XLT uh, 12A, which is the high feature, 61969 for the Pro, 70469 for the XLT 312A, the new MSRP 51990, which is a price change of $9,979. The new MSRP of the top line model drops from seventy to sixty one nine ninety. It's a price change of eight thousand four hundred and seventy nine dollars. Again, I believe when it came out, it started at uh, I think it was forty nine 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 five or something like that. So mm. still not as low as when it came out. But I, the first thing I thought about is what does that do to uh, to the residuals for everybody who bought during the price increases? They just lost their butts on the Absolutely. residual values of those. Yeah. Now, if you go all the way up to a platinum. Extended range, which is the most expensive, it was at a hundred thousand sixty nine dollars. A hundred thousand sixty nine dollars. The new MSRP on the truck ninety three nine ninety, which is a drop of uh, six thousand. So insane for a Ford F one fifty, even battery powered. I mean, come all on. Of it. For the percentage of of uh, change is definitely down with the pro work truck model, but dang, that's a lot of cheddar. Yeah, so nice. it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, with demand with the newer pricing. Like I said, it's not as attractive as it was when the Lightning launched. And the Lightning, I've driven it. It's it's a really interesting, great vehicle. I think Ford did a lot of things right on it. But, man, that pricing's got to hurt. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No. Nope. So speaking of electric trucks, I think you saw the first production Tesla Cybertruck was, uh, was shown. Uh, about the same time Ford dropped its starting price. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was a troll by Elon, but then it's funny. Did you see the internet responding to the Tesla Cybertruck photo? 
Mm, I, well, yeah, there was. The, I guess it was a few articles that said, "Here's the Cybertruck that Tesla doesn't want you to see." Well, basically, they put a Cybertruck in a sea of workers wearing high vis vests and hard hats, and said, "This is the first one off the line." And then people started, and all you can see is the triangular greenhouse section of it, and mm-hmm. a little bit of the belt line. Everything is, else is obscured by people standing around it. So the internet sleuths started to zoom in on everything, and they picked out that the doors were misaligned, and they're not sure if the wheels turned, if it's a yoke or an oval. And it was really funny to go down this rabbit hole of people pulling out every little detail to try and figure out what was there. And you know, they're, they're talking about. I think somebody called the you know they have the the Giga battery pack or whatever it's in Giga Texas. Right. Well, it has that really long, stupid wiper arm, that single one. Somebody's like, look, there's the Giga wiper arm. So. The internet, as we all know, never loses, and it was funny to watch people pick apart this one photo of the Cybertruck. So I dug this out of my uh, email from uh, almost two years ago. I haven't heard anything from Tesla. Not a peep. But they still have your money. I'm like, they still have my 100 bucks. So sure enough, I logged into Tesla. My password was still good, and... I printed this out for you to read. It says, Jay Cybertruck, uh, order number, blah, blah, blah. Your Cybertruck is reserved. You will be notified to complete your Cybertruck configuration as production nears. Okay. means nothing. Nothing. Literally I've nothing. heard nothing. Yeah. Do you know that this- Are you getting one? So that's the weird thing. You are. No, no, no. I'm not saying no. that I am at all. Hmm. I, I am curious if I got in on this and I was one of the first- X number of thousands of people, could I flip it? Or it will this be like a Ferrari where they prevent that? I don't think you I think there's have gonna enough be personal wealth to uh, risk a flip. I think I could yeah, I, I think I You think could you could pull it. it off? Yeah, I do. Not if they don't allow it, you'd be screwed. And then you would have a That's truck why that, I'm asking if you Well, it, that's what I'm saying is like can you absorb another hundred thousand dollar vehicle sitting in front of your house no, for a year? Absolutely not. That's what I'm saying. Is I don't think you have enough personal wealth to be able to absorb that if they shut it down. Well, I think I would need to know before I yeah. plunk down the deposit. Yeah, I don't think I would but, um, count on that. It is with real tires on it, like the photo that they uh-huh. showed. It looks weirder than I would have liked. And how about with the triangular mirrors? Um, don't like them. Uh-huh. How it, about I the... like it less in real life. Well, yeah, because all the production stuff they had to put on there. Yeah, it's it's, it's it just looks weird with like the BFGs and not these big. It was uh, weird. Like uh, just, I think they're Wrangler, uh, whatever they are, territories. Or okay, or it like just that. doesn't look as fantastical well, anymore. And they were talking about it having some crazy range, but it sounds like it might debut, according to rumors on the internet, with only a 350 mile range, which means that the uh, Chevy Silverado EV will be uh, tops in range for, you know, quote-unquote electric pickup trucks with 450 miles. So... I'm just going to be curious what the 0 to 60 is. Oh, it'll be fast. It'll probably be 2.9 or something ridiculous right. so like that. so a full second faster than mine, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll be faster than yours. It, it has the Plaid motors in it, too. It's it's Speed is not going to be the issue. And it's, I ordered the, the tri-motor, so whatever the top dog was. Yeah, you're, it's, it's, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think it's a quad motor. The tri is... Whatever the, the top, I think it was... No, it, was, it's, was it, it can come with a single rear-wheel uh, drive, a dual-motor all-wheel drive, a tri-motor all-wheel drive, and a quad-motor all-wheel drive. But that's what they said years ago, so who knows what the I think thing at the time that I plunk my cash down it was a tri-motor that's the most well, i could get they announced 39900 for the base rear wheel drive and 49900 for the dual motor uh back then but there's no there's way no that's way. accurate no 
I got to think that a tri-motor, which I think is what I clicked, is going to start at- $100,000. Yeah, like at the minimum, somewhere in the 80s. Yeah. At like least. Like I said, you're going to end up having another $100,000 yeah. vehicle yeah. sitting there. I think I want to pin this to the wall. Just be like, I once like, ordered that and I was- uh, Because this is the closest I'm ever going to get to yeah. owning a Cybertruck right No, that's right true. Here. You have that 3D printed one right oh, there from yeah, our friend Marshall. That. But by the way- that one, that Marshall's 3D printed yeah. one, looks better than the one in the photo. It actually does look better. Yeah. So thanks for that, Marshall. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No. Nope. So uh, Ford files a patent on, guess what, Lightning? Because you love patents. Yeah, I do. Uh, just so you can poke your head through the sunroof and uh, control the vehicle from the outside. The windshield header? Yes. No. Okay. Is this something to do with uh, air conditioning? No. Is this something to do with the uh, autonomous driving? Nope. But what it does have to do with is a portable charging trailer with integrated motors. So it's a trailer with a battery pack that can power the EV that's towing it. What? <laughs> well, I think we're jumping the shark backwards here. Wait a minute. So Wait, Ford's what? filed this patent, and the way they envision the future is that there'll be a trailer that has an integrated battery pack and electric motors, and then the tr- the user can steer the trailer around so you don't have to back it in with a truck, and then it'll also have backup power or provide power for the EV while it's towing it. So it's just more battery. I, I guess. I, are they? And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, are they putting generators on the wheel and trying to create a perpetual motion machine or something? Like, What's happening here? I just, yeah, I, okay, sure. Oh, this is as funny as the guy towing around the... Honda EU2000 generator. That would be generator. like me taking the 392 and driving with a fuel trailer behind me. Yeah. No, that makes more sense. Well, at least that fuel gets lighter as I drive right. it. Right. That makes more sense. Yeah, then anyway. the batteries never get lighter. Uh, it's just... All right. Hey, uh, Lightning, did you hear? No! Nope. The VW uh, CEO called for immediate freeze on all spending. Uh, the Germans uh, apparently are looking towards some tough times as they transition to EVs. So the uh, CEO is Thomas Schaefer, and there's a recent meeting uh, of the company's managers, and he said, apparently, quote-unquote, the roof is on fire, and quote-unquote, all is at stake as uh, they transition. Maybe they should not transition. I Maybe mean, that, that's kind of my thought. The first thing I thought about was, well, if it's going to ruin companies to do this and ruin industry, is it really the right move to be forced into that play? I mean, you're, when you say the word VW, right? Volkswagen. Called, called Volkswagen, yes. Well, I'm I'm thinking your Audi group, your Lamborghini group, all of them. Well, it doesn't specify the, that. It just says VW, and it says. Well, what what I'm saying is there have been there's been some scuttlebutt about those going electric. So the, well, I think there's scuttlebutt about every manufacturer going electric. But the the enthusiasts still are they want loud. Well, the problem fast is, is that machines. It is the the common everyday vehicle can go almost as fast as those vehicles with no soul, right? I mean, you can get an electric Hummer that is as fast as a Ferrari off the line. So what makes the Ferrari special? Well, it's lightweight and it handles and it has the sound of a internal combustion engine wailing behind it. That's part of the magic. If you just make an all-electric thing, then why not just get a Tesla? You get a Tesla Type S Plaid and be in some seriously competitive performance numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Uh, anyway, he uh, according to this article, uh, it says uh, Schaefer indicated uh, to over 2,000 managers that the next weeks and months will be tough. And then he asked them uh, to make small wins. He said that there's going to be a bunch of uh, new initiatives called performance programs. And they have the goal of saving the company 
Stop if you've heard this before. Corporate management comes in and says, we need wins, and we need to save in the next three years. Want to guess the number? Yeah, let me guess. It's uh, $5 billion. $11.2 billion. <sighs> That's when you start seeing the, the product getting cut down, right? They can start you know, shaving either quality or, their, or cheapening bits on it, and, and the experience is going to go down. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So that's tragic. My wife's Atlas is uh-huh. one of her. I don't think she's owned a car that she's liked more. Really loves that damn Atlas. Uh, the, they look okay. The interior's typical VW boring, but I like the outside. She's got the coupe version, right? Or the what do they call it? The sport? Mm, no, no, no. Just this the full four door. Yeah, full. No, Atlas, no, no. Yeah. They're both four doors. One has a swoopier roof line on it. I thought your wife had the uh, swoopier roof line. So your wife's is not a crossboard. It's a no. She's got Atlas? the Atlas. Yeah, the big one. The four door. Uh, regular SUV, but it's it, it's almost identical to an Audi, and uh, I like except the, Audi. the interior. Yes, it doesn't have the Audi it interior. Have the Audi no, interior. that's definitely for for sure. And the audio system is okay, and the seats are okay. But altogether, for the price, it's a lot of car, and it I, I like it. And that was coming out of the uh, that AMG debacle. Yeah, you're not going to uh, forget that one anytime soon, are you? No, that was an awesome car that I had for a month. <laughs> I don't know if it was ever awesome though, was it? It was awesome except for the clunk in the transmission. Oh, and you have one of those right now. Yeah, I do have one of those right now. I'm supposed what to get it What is it with you in uh, vehicles with clunks? I'm clunky. Hey, Lighting, did you hear? No, 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 no. Nope. Uh, if you go over to our friends at tfltruck.com, they uh, just took the brand new 2024 Chevy Silverado HD Duramax, and they put it on what they call their Denver 100 loop to see if it's the new uh, king of MPG. So... Uh, as a refresher, not too long ago, they did it with a 2023 Ford Super Duty F350 Dually. Uh, Detroit to Denver, and with the new 6.7, it returns 17.6 miles per gallon when running unladen at highway speeds. So on their 111-mile uh, MPG loop around uh, Colorado, the new Chevy Dually returned 17.7 miles per gallon. 0.1 hmm. better than the Ford. <laughs> Which is a wow. st- statistical tie. It, it is, especially because the climate could have been different. All of it. Air Altitude, density. Yeah, right? I mean, it's that, just, yeah. to me, that's just their... It's a tie. But it's also amazing that, uh, A, the dually is getting that getting kind that. of mileage. Yeah. Yeah, Although there's sure. well, there's eight dudes with Cummins right now going, well, my 5.9 P pump does 30 miles per gallon uphill. So you uh, now bust me it. on yeah. the yeah. accent. Now I'm, now I'm doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But that guy exists. He's listening to the show, and he's yelling at us right now. Yeah. He's going, 17 BS, delete that thing, and then you'll get 100, and I have a fish carburetor on it, and whatever. You know, I, Mine runs on moonshine. Yeah, we know. Uh, but for the people who want a new truck, those are the numbers. I can't, I can't do anything with that. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No! I did not. Nope. A uh, article in The Drive talks about how, well, AI is being used on traffic surveillance cameras to study your driving patterns and determine if you're a criminal. No! <laughs> so they're taking no. existing cameras. No. They're running no. your plate. No. They're matching it against no. other cameras no. in the thing. No. 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 To determine if the routes you frequent are high crime and if you might be a criminal just for driving around. That is some bull****. That is completely effed up. Uh, anyway, I, I'm not going to go into detail because we don't have enough time for a rant of that scale from Lightning. But if you uh, go to the drive, uh, look up AI traffic surveillance. It's a really interesting article written by uh, Nico Demadia. 
and uh, it was uh, published on July 18th. So take a look at that. It was I just found it really interesting. Uh, obviously, you want there to be tools to find the bad guys, but it should never infringe on you know the freedoms of average citizens just going about their day. I think that's completely bunk. I hear you. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No. Nope. For those of you who uh, drive fleet vehicles or do deliveries, the 2024 Ford Transit has some new technology in it in Europe that is designed to improve how fast each delivery goes. They're saying you can save up to like 20 seconds per delivery. So oh, how? I was, what? I was scrolling through and I was thinking, well, that's kind of interesting. If you have 100 you know, deliveries a day and each one's 20 seconds faster. Oh, can I guess? Okay. Is it the way that the side door opens nope. or something? No. So the van has some new hardware, has a software update, and also uh, it's got some other things going for it. So Ford calls it their new delivery assist technology. It automates vehicle security functions. The system will activate the hazard light, stop the engine, and locks the doors the driver is not using to complete the delivery. So basically, when the uh, van goes into park, your sliding door will be open, but the rest of them will be locked. So as you go out your sliding door to make the delivery, some dude's not coming on the driver's side, hopping in the seat and driving away with you. How does that save time, though? Just because you didn't have to lock the doors? Because you didn't have to do all that stuff. So Mm. when the driver returns to the van, all he has to do is press the brake pedal and that turns off the hazards and restarts the engine. Kind of interesting. I mean, that's convenient, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, so they're saying uh, over a day of 150 deliveries, it would save you almost an hour. So huh. I'm, I think that's kind of interesting, right? I think there's smart tech that can make, especially people who are delivering and doing repetitive things, if there's something that makes, because if you've done it before, it's monotonous. You're I like, wonder oh. who uh, supplied Ford with that information. I mean, was it like, were they working with FedEx or something like that? Or no Amazon? This is yeah. Europe. So oh. uh, it's not coming to America yet or hasn't been announced, but I just thought it was interesting tech that, uh, you know, if you're involved in fleet deliveries, you might go, that's cool. Or you might not care. I don't think you care. All right. Uh, Lightning, did you hear? No. Nope. So the current Ford F-550 has a 10,300 pound max payload. So there's a company called Elevation Off Grid. And they take these chassis cabs, put a bed on it so that you have enough payload to do those massive sliding campers. Okay. So I reached out to them and I'm like, we have to find out more. So hopefully uh, they'll hop on the show here in the near future. But for those of you who have one ton duallys and it's not enough machine for you, (laughs) uh, you might want to go to uh, Elevation Off Grid and and check up on their limitless pickup conversions. So again, these are uh, cabin chassis. But uh, if you go to elevationoffgrid.com, the truck weighs 9164, the payload's 10336. So all you have to do is uh, head over to elevationoffgrid.com and you can check it out. It looks completely factory. It's got the bed that matches the wheelbase cuz the chassis cabs are longer and uh, they're doing it on a high spec truck, so uh, it's a fully loaded lariat trim. You get all the nice headlamps and grill and of course it's the 6.7 liter uh Four valve Although, power stroke. Don't they all always detune those a little bit? Yeah. So usually on the chassis cabs they are detuned, but they come with a uh, forty gallon tank. So that's pretty. Oh, nice. that's kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, there's a bunch of uh, build specs that you can do to uh, to make it even fancier. But I just thought when I read that, I'm like, well, that's pretty cool for people who love that sliding camper and their four wheel drive. So even better. I love the Fords. I love those big F550s, 450s, 550s. I mean, check it out. It's a totally good not practical around where I live, but yeah. Oh, damn. It's a great, look, look that's how a clean great looking truck. Here's what it looks like from the side. Although they need uh, color matched. Why is the back 
color match. The defenders no, in the rear no, color no, no, match no, no, and the fronts aren't. It's the way the trucks are. Those are because that's a wide axle in the front, so it has the flares on it. The dualies are I painted get it. to match. I, I get it. They should That's paint just, match the fronts. The, eh. the, 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 yeah. No, not it's a chassis cab. I don't know. That doesn't bother me. Oh, it's a bitch and look at chassis cab, but it needs color matched. This isn't a chassis cab. This right here, my friend, is a that pickup is a truck. truck. That is a pickup truck, that but they need truck. color matched front fender flares, period. That's ah, it. Over now. It. I get it. Sometimes it's fun to not have everything matchy match. No. Agree to disagree. Have an Alpine stereo and then you want speakers that match the thing. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? Nope. Uh, the Truck Show podcast uh, is sad to uh, announce and sends our condolences to the uh, Callaway family. Our uh, friend of the show, Reeves Callaway, uh, passed away this past week at 75. If you remember, he uh, was on the podcast talking trucks, uh, I think just last year. And uh, we, we built a little friendship up with him. And uh, super, super nice guy. Couldn't have been more gracious. And uh, we just wanted to uh, let everybody know that, uh, that, that Reeves has passed on a consummate Car guy, though, and um, a uh, post on the uh, company's Facebook page said that he passed from injuries sustained in a fall, which is uh, is even sadder to uh, to hear that because it, it seems like maybe it wasn't his time. Uh, 75 is not that old, and he was obviously a super sharp, super bright guy with a lot of great... Uh, I was blown away by the stories he shared on that particular episode. It was like in the 170s or so, but if you go to churchillpodcast.com, You'll see that I have resurfaced that episode on the homepage, truckshowpodcast.com. Right on the homepage, scroll to the bottom, you'll see the episode with Reeves. And um, Holman and I are, well, we're morons because he- Yeah, we never took him up on He his, asked us uh, to come down to Newport yeah. Beach to drive the new supercharged Callaway and Silverado. We, and we got busy. And we didn't do it. So- uh, We it, suck. Just as a refresher, Callaway worked- uh, with all sorts of brands, BMW, Alpha, Land Rover, Fiat, Mazda. And he's probably best known for the Sledgehammer, which was a Callaway twin-turbo Corvette that won the uh, record for the uh, world's fastest car in the late 80s. Had a hand-built 5.7-liter V8 with two turbochargers at that time, 880 horsepower, 772 pound-feet of torque, which is massive for that era, a ZF six-speed, and the Sledgehammer would reach... 254 miles an hour, 254.76, setting a new record for a production car. So uh, he was definitely legit, and that record uh, stood until 2010. So the Bugatti Veyron uh, Supersport dethroned it, uh, hitting a 267.85. That's but amazing. It lasted so years. many years, right? Yeah. And I think Gail held it before Reeves stole it from him. Yeah. I in mean, that, uh, in, in the uh, the Red Firebird. He was definitely an OG of that era. Yeah. And uh, if you remember, he also had a relationship with General Motors and did a bunch of stuff with the Camaro, the uh, GMC pickup trucks, Cadillac Escalade. Uh, anyway, go back and find that episode. It, it's uh, If you do nothing uh, to remember him other than listen to that show, I think you'll be delighted to know a little bit more about the man. But uh, we were happy to at least uh, get to meet him a little bit. His son, Peter Reeves Calloway. Uh, said that his father's passion for making beautifully designed and crafted machines can be seen in each and every project. And he added that he felt fortunate to have grown up working with him and the company. So uh, rest in peace, Reeves Calloway. Thank you for uh, carving out the time to be on our silly little show. It was nice to be able to get your story out there to our our audience. All right, on that sad note, uh, why don't we close out news and get to uh, the happier uh, notes of our listeners leaving us voicemails. Show call the five star hotline 657-205-6105. It's the five star hotline. Five star hotline. 
Hey, Lightning and Holman. Looks like the truck show uh, listeners killed the OBR website. It looks like it's back up today. But uh, anyway, got my subscription. Looking forward to that. I'll tell you a story after listening to the Banana Ron episode about him going across the country and cha- and then moving to Costa Rica and all that. It made me think about my uh, great-grandparents. Great-grandpa worked for the post office, started having some, some health issues later later in life and the doctor said you need to change a change a lifestyle and so they they sold all their all their possessions they bought a international travel all and an airstream trailer and they traveled the uh, lower 48 states for oh probably another 10 or so years until he uh, passed away they would just live in national parks and other places for a while and he would work at the post office here and there and uh when they started this trip they dressed up in like western kind of cowboy clothes and they got they cashed some of their money out into silver dollars and so they were just traveling around paying for everything with silver dollars that's cool and that's uh, just an awesome awesome story that my family's told and uh yeah you guys have a great one love the podcast keep it up bye that's awesome. awesome. Well, appreciate it. Appreciate you uh, sharing the story. We love to hear uh, things like that. So uh, if you've got a similar story you want to share about your family or some interesting tidbit, 657-205-6105. And also, uh, thank you for supporting OVR Magazine. Really appreciate it. Hi, guys. Chris Quill, what old trucks work on the gram. Just listen to the podcast. And uh, lightning, i got to say, Stick with what works, man. I'll tell the, tell you the same thing that I tell all the 15-year-olds in the scout troop. Just say no to the bro. Just say no to the bro. <laughs> Yummy gas. It's good. Stick with what works. That's all I had to say. Thanks, guys. Bye. I believe that would be number, what, 18 or 19? I yes column. Say no to the bro, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that in Great. the future. Bro. Lightning Holman. Hey, it's Rich and Hollister. I got to toss in my two cents about Bropar. Not so, another one. <laughs> uh, I really like Yummy Gas. I think all of us kind of like Yummy Gas. Um, I'm anxious to hear how everybody else feels. But um, Bropar, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan, actually. I think it would be better... To, um, it's it's a hot day. The green trash bins that we all have here in California that we put our grass and crap in, right? A hot day. You dump a bunch of that grass and it's mixed with dog poop and everything else. You it. And then it gets dumped on the following Wednesday. And then you roll the green bin to your, the end of your driveway again or to put it away. You open that up and you take what's left inside there the smell and the goo, and you rub that on the license plate. I think that would be way cooler than Bropar. Definitely wow. be stinkier. Down with the Bropar, up with the uh, Yummy Gas, because Yummy Gas was big pimping. Love you guys. Hope you're doing awesome. Bye. Now, can That's I, a lot of freaking hate can, for uh, can the I Bropar re- license plate. Can I remind people that that would never happen with you because you paid a service to come to your house and clean the inside of your trash cans? My wife did that once. <laughs> yeah, she did. I know. Because we have dogs and uh-huh. dog poop bags and stuff like that. And yeah. then 
I mean, why wouldn't you if you could? Why wouldn't you just put like Dawn in it and spray it with your hose and tip it over and let go of the drive and then you're done? I don't know. She told me she did. I'm like, okay, how much is that? She's like, it's 30 bucks or something. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a waste of 30 bucks, but <laughs> whatever. Like, ugh. Yeah. Did it wash the bro uh, par away? I, I mean, I didn't know. Nothing's going to wash the bro par away. It's here to stay. <laughs> and speaking of which, I'm going to put the friggin' license plate right up there next to the steer horns. You should. No, I will. Put it down. I'm going to put it somewhere in here. Right. It's got to live on. It's not going to just live with my other 30 plates that I've got well, in the garage. I've got a bunch of them, too, that didn't go, like, uh, mm, had gas. Huh. Yeah. 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 Or used oil. Yeah, that's a, that one hurt. Hey, uh, Lady, why don't you uh, get to Lightning into my homeboy. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. Hey, I just listened to the most recent episode with uh, Josh. You guys talked about a wide range of uh, topics, everything from uh, coffee to nuclear power. <laughs> well, uh, Just wanted to let you guys know, I, I watch your episodes every week. I look pretty forward to Monday mornings whenever I get in the truck. If you guys remember me from calling in before, I'm kicking off your podcast Monday morning at about uh, 4 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, daylight savings time, I guess, right now. So it'd be about but, uh, three hours after I put it up. Just want to say, man, six stars on this one. This was a great conversation. It just flowed well. Uh, you guys hit your stride on this one. So congratulations. Six stars. Keep mounting those parameters. And uh, you guys have a great one. Dude. Just wanted to, to let you know when you guys do a great job. And I'll call in and let you know when I think of the opposite, too. Take care. Congratulations, you have earned five Six. stars. By the way, I love how he says that uh, we hit our stride and, you know, just keep going and and I'll let you know when you guys do a great job and then realized almost 300 episodes in, that was the only time he ever told us we did a good job. By accident. <laughs> it happens. Totally by the accident. blind squirrel gets the nut. White beer and whole milk. You guys told me to call you if I was bored while trucking, and so that's what I'm doing. Currently sitting in line here at the biodiesel plant with a load of soybeans on, and I'm just looking at my gauges and alone with my own thoughts and got to thinking I should probably get diesel fuel on my drive back home. And so I was listening to your guys' podcast talking about how with the electric trucks and all that jazz and just how far away we are from electric semis, at least in my part of the world, which is Iowa. I mean, it might work for you guys on, like, the coast for, like, short trips and stuff. But, like, I drove 50 miles one direction in my 98 International. I'm going to sit in line here at the plant for two hours, which I was not expecting, and then I'm going to drive 50 miles back home. And, granted, I'm only loaded the one direction, but just – how difficult that would be in an electric semi because I can get back to the bin site, get another load of soybeans, and be gone in 20 minutes. And on a good day, I can get three, four loads. But then, like, today I'm sitting in line at the plant. I can't shut the truck off because i got to move it ahead every five minutes, it seems like. So it's just how, just how many things have to change before that becomes, like, even remotely possible out here in the heartland. I mean, don't even get me started on harvest season when you park your semis in the field and let them run for hours on end because it doesn't make sense to shut them down while you're getting the crops in and out of the field, which are most likely in the middle of bum effing nowhere uh, where you really can't, if the thing runs dead on you, how are you going to get it charged? So I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me to have those here 
But I don't know. Maybe technology will change. Pickups, on the other hand, might make sense. I know for us, we take a lot of short trips farm to farm. So I don't know. If we got two 20 hookups for welders, that might track. I just know that the semis, yeah, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But just wanted to rant and rave about that while I'm stuck here in line. So, oh, oh, and I sent you guys a DM on the Instagram a while ago if you want to talk diecast. I'm the Orange Track Farmer. Hit me up. Um, yeah. So have a good day. Maybe I'll still be sitting here by the time the next podcast drops. All right. <laughs> love you, bye. <laughs> I love the uh, Emmy uh, callback reference at the end. Love you, bye. That's awesome. Uh, he doesn't Thank say you, who uh, he is, by the way. No, I didn't. Thank you very much for calling, by the way. We do appreciate that. 657-205-6105. That is the five-star hotline. And we and we love hearing from you guys. And this is exactly the type of stuff. Tell us your stories. Tell us how you're feeling. Tell us what you think of the world in, in your neck of the uh, woods. Because, um, you know, we have our ideas. California pompous. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I think we're pretty... I travel a lot. You travel a lot. We go to different parts of the world and country. I think we have a pretty good idea of what life is like outside of here, and I th- think we try to respect that. No, we don't. I mean, half of us tries. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Hotline. We do love hearing from you guys. Podcast at gmail.com. Lightning at truckshowpodcast.com. Or Holman at truckshowpodcast.com. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. And of course, we want to hear from you. 657 205 6105. Leave a message on the five star hotline or you follow us on our socials at Truck Show Podcast, at LBC Lighting, or at Sean P. Holman. And uh, we want to hear from you about local events. I know uh, we've got a few events here in the last week, so make sure that you email those to us and we can get them up on our events calendar at truckshowpodcast.com and make sure that uh, it is the go-to place for anyone in trucks who uh, wants to see what's going on from the uh, event standpoint. And uh, lastly, uh, you guys have been really good about sending in some Know Your Notes, but we need more. So uh, please uh, challenge us with some odd engine sounds or whatnot and uh, see if lightning and i can guess what that engine is in a new segment of know your note it's been a while we'd like to bring it back i realized that i played the outro before we got to the events i know Uh, so i just roll with it should i now they know about it no let it go let it go let the bed go you, you already messed up. What a, why don't we can still read no, some events? Fine. Why no, don't you pull up the events? No, no, we do events at the beginning of the month. You sure you don't want to do like one or two as a teaser no. right here? No, we do it at the beginning of the month. We say these are all of them, and then that's it. Really? Yeah. I feel like there might be some that they no, should know about. Because it. here's the problem. What? If we read events every show, they'll think we have enough and they won't send us any. If we only read events once a month, they're like, oh, maybe they haven't read it because they don't have any events to talk about. You think that psychology actually works? I'm just saying. I mean, uh, listen. I mean, August 3rd, you could go to the Pure 4x4 Base Camp. August 4th, the Carlisle Truck Nationals. August 5th, the C10 Slowdown. See, you're doing it. See, I got you to read them. Yeah, we have three in August. Okay. My point is I want to have 10, 20, 50 a month. I want people to have be so overwhelmed with events that we cover the entire country and we blanket it with awesome truck stuff. Listen. We know that you guys have cars and coffees, trucks and coffees, Jeep off-road And we know that some of you are promoters for events. Send us your stuff. We will gladly put it on our platform so that we can uh, give a bone back to the you know enthusiasts out there and be like, hey, here's the place. We want the truckshowpodcast.com to be a gathering spot for uh, event finding out. And I'm not saying yeah. that we're cool and all, but cool. the website actually is getting some traffic. 
Yeah. I'm just saying. It's like, I'm it's, not sure it's the why. the pages, isn't it? It, it? it might be. But it actually is getting some love. So uh, truckshowpodcast.com, if you click on the events tab, you'll see the events. Um, we there. It's weird. It's got a spotty all around the country. I want like one in every state. That's what I'm looking for. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com or hit me directly at lightning at truckshowpodcast.com. All right. It's that point in the show where we thank Nissan for being our presenting sponsor. The Truck Show Podcast is proudly presented by our friends over at Nissan. If you're looking for a new half ton or mid-sized truck, you want to head over to NissanUSA.com where you can build and price the exact Nissan that would be perfect for your lifestyle. You could also head down to your local Nissan dealer where you can test them out in person. You can kick the tires, you can slam the door, and you can listen to that Fender audio system. And if you want to get rid of those Wrangler 4.0 headers once and for all because they're falling apart, head over to bankspower.com, type in your year, make, and model, and swoop yourself up a beautiful set of stainless steel headers. And before you head out on your next adventure, be sure to visit onxmaps.com or download Onyx Off-Road from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. It's the off-road map app that I rely on for all of my outdoor and off-road adventures. And it's great because I can share the trails with my friends and I can take them out on the road with me. And uh, hey, Lightning, you want to go off-roading? I'll send you something to your Onyx account. I would love to, but you're totally pulling my leg. You'll never invite me. I might. Do you think I'll show up, though? What if I <laughs> sent you a trail... And I was not at the beginning, but I was at the end. I would, with a cold beer, just I to see would, if you would do it. Well, how long is the trail? Like five days? Yeah. <laughs> but there's cold beer at the end of it. Ah, I'll have a sour ready for you. I would do it. If I had a sour and I just sent you a coordinates, you'd just start driving toward the sour? I mean, I, I would rather kind of caravan with you. Yeah, of course you sure, would. But sure, I will go. I'm dying to go on an adventure. I got to be honest. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm massively overdue myself, so... Anyway, uh, would you go out right now with our heat wave? Yeah, you know it was one thirty-one at Death Valley at the time, the day mm -hmm. we recorded this. Yeah, one thirty-one at Death Valley. And that's, still not the record. I, I heard it was the record. No, nope. the record was one thirty-four. Wow, that's so weird because on NPR this morning they had a Frenchman. Nope. On on Mike saying, "Oh, this is a once in a life well, nope. with his thick accent. Was, uh, once in a lifetime opportunity." Nope. It was July nineteen thirteen. And the other thing you got to be aware of is the Furnace Creek Visitor uh, Center. That's where they were. Was off by about four uh, degrees. Oh. From the uh, actual official temperature. So they got up to 132 and everybody was taking pictures. But uh, alas, it was off a little bit and it wasn't quite 132. Can you imagine though? What's the hottest you've been in? 128. So I've been in 126. In Lake just, Havasu. It, yeah, Havasu was mine too. Yeah. You, you don't, it was funny because you'd hang all day out in the water until you just became a raisin and then you'd get out and you'd dry off in like two minutes and then you'd have to jump back in the water. It's just it was, brutal. Yeah. It's freaking brutal. I cannot imagine that Furnace Creek uh, Visitor Center at, at 131. I can't even. I mean, I don't think it matters. Honestly, I think it gets Once you're above getting, 120, yeah. doesn't matter? Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm heading out to. Our friends in Phoenix might uh, beg to differ. I'm doing a, a one day trip out to uh, my uncle's ranch on Friday and it's supposed to be 101 out there, so. 101? That's, yeah. That's no big deal. I'm still 101. Yeah, but that's nothing. It's 75 here. It's I great. I know, but, but I mean, it's that's nothing. 100 and 120 are so different. Yeah, but 130, I just, yeah, sit in my Jeep with an AC on going, ha, 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 I scoff no, at you. No, because remember, your AC will only cool below ambient a certain amount. If if ambient is 130, bro. Nah, that'll be fine. Nah. Nah. Not going to be fine. No, because the Wrangler, when it was developed- it was developed with the uh, Middle East in mind, and it has one of the best AC systems out of all their vehicles. Really? And so the JK AC system sucked, and the JL is like, it shoots ice cubes at you in 100-degree weather, no problem. No kidding. It's like, hey, ice cube, ice cube, ice cube. 
When I went to Palm Springs and our long-term TRX, it was 114, I think. And it was really hard for the AC to keep up. Yeah. In my the, Jeep, the, no the, problem. The TRX, no. Awful. But JL, I'm I'm going to go cruise around Death Valley with impunity until something <laughs> breaks, and then I'm going to be really upset. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Truck Show Podcast. We sincerely appreciate it. All right, you guys. Love you, mean it. Bye. <laughs> The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Truck Famous LLC. This podcast was created by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please open your Apple Podcast or Spotify app and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan, there's no better way to show your support than by patronizing our sponsors. Some vehicles may have been harmed during the making of this podcast.